Welcome to the first episode of the second season of Letters and Lines with me, Hassan Otsman Alhau, and Adidji Bidikar. What you're about to hear is a live recording of the podcast that we hosted on the Strip Panel Naked YouTube channel. So there's discussions with live viewers included, and the audio may sound a little different than other episodes, and often you'll hear us referring to the live aspect of it numerous times in this too, so just as a heads up for what you're about to hear. We're going to be releasing this season every week, with our regular episodes starting the week after this one, and including some fun lettering interviews down the line too. So keep subscribed to the podcast for some in-depth conversation about the craft of making comics, and hope you enjoy the next few hours of this bumper episode. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Letters and Lines, a comics podcast looking at comics from the perspective of being a fan, a creator, and a critic. Before we dive into what we're actually going to be talking about in this episode, it's probably worth introducing who we are so you know whose voices and in the live edition whose faces that you're seeing. Um, I'm Hass and I make strip panel naked on YouTube. I edit the Eisner winning panel by panel magazine and I edit and letter comic books. Uh, and I'm Aditya Bidikar and I letter comics like Isola, Little Bird and Hellblazer. So this week, as always, the way the format of the show works is I, I bring a topic and Aditya brings a topic and then we kind of discuss those topics for a bit and try and solve comics every week. Um, so my topic is about opening the industry for new creators. How do we sort of share knowledge and support and, and that kind of thing for, for getting new people involved in, in making comics? Uh, and my topic is I'm going to talk to Haas about formal analysis, uh, analysis of comics. Nice. So, that's that's you. you that's the one. See, I'm going to leave that in. I'm leaving that one in because that never happens. I'm leaving that in. Um, but before we get into one of those, we're going to pepper some questions throughout. So we had a few questions yeah. beforehand. But also, if you're watching this live and you want to like throw questions at us, uh, then please do, and we'll try and respond to them as we go. Um, should we just do the first question that we have on the top of the questions list we've got here? Sure. So this uh, question was, I've got it on the. We've got. I've got it in our little chat window. I yeah. Think. Uh, so this was from uh, John John Ward, who is Arbutus Films on Twitter. What are your thoughts about balloons and or caption boxes crossing panels? Um, so, like Nate Picos, I think doesn't like that. Like he basically feels that uh, balloons and captions should stay within panels as far as possible. Um, I like I think I think it's I think it depends on the kind of page you're on. Like there are mm -hmm. there are a lot of. Uh, comics pages which don't have traditional gutters, so you generally have like one image and all the panels are kind of stacked on top of that or something like that. And there, I think that kind of page lends itself way better to a caption or a balloon that does cross lines more easily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm working on a comic right now uh, which has a lot of vertical panels, and usually in vertical panels, it would look weird if you just kept all the balloons within the panel. Yeah. Um, as long as I think your intention is that people should be able to read it properly. Um, I think it's fine. But mm -hmm. if you have ample space within the panels, I think you should try and like keep everything within the panel. I some I'll sometimes break it. Uh, I'll sometimes put like so if if it's the, on the same tier, if we've got like two panels, if the caption is something that's kind of speaking across or speaking to the motion or the, the fluidity of the motion between those two panels, I'll sometimes break it for that reason. Like I'll sometimes put it so it almost like stitches the panels into one into one right into, into you, unit, yeah yeah and especially like sometimes you know if we're, if we're doing a thing where we're we're um opening the, the the balloons to the gutters and we're not having the panel border around the the, the balloon or the caption you can kind of yeah. create almost like a like a literal stitch right between the two panels like yeah it becomes Welcome. one moment Right. Workman would do that quite a bit. Like he would kind mm -hmm. of lead your eye that way. Um, also, uh, I remember Jim Campbell. Uh, he uh, He's another letterer. So he talked about how John Costanza uh, once used like a uh, kind of a 
uh, breaking the border to basically lead the eye uh, in a way that the page wouldn't have uh, led you, generally speaking. So, right. like, essentially doing that fixed the reading of the page. Right, um, right. Right. So, right. so something like that can be quite useful. Like, there are times when you have to do that, especially let's say let's say somebody is using like a two plus one panel layout. You might mm -hmm. actually have to let you break the uh, border to kind of lead the. Reading, you're, sort of. you're talking about, I'm trying to think of a visual way of explaining this. You're talking about like a panel where you have two stacked panels on the left side and then one big panel on the right side. And yeah. the reading order may be a bit, you know, it could be going down in the cross or it could be going across and down. And you'll exactly. you can break yeah. it. Yeah. And you can use a balloon to kind of force the reading flow for making sense. Precisely. Precisely. Like, yeah. I, like I, I, I usually kind of refer to the letter as the arbiter of the read, as it's right. essentially like uh, we're generally trying to simply enforce what the other people in on the team want. But mm -hmm. sometimes we have to kind of veto it. Like we have to kind of right. do something which fixes something that somebody else has messed up. So mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. this, is, this is an example of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think essentially to answer that question of what would you or wouldn't you uh, use, use balloons and captions to break panel borders, uh, as long as there is a either story reason or a uh, technical reason, as in terms yeah, of reading flow, or an aesthetic reason of some kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do it like all over the place. Like you can make the page incredibly messy if you just did it willy nilly. Like it, yeah. it's one of those things where obey the rule for a while and then decide when you want to break it. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a pretty good like uh, uh, thesis for any <laughs> like any 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 rule list is. Do it, you know, follow the rules enough to understand why they're there and what they're doing. And then you can decide if to trash all of them and do whatever you want instead. Precisely. Or just do whatever you want. I mean, you know, who's going to stop you? It's comics, right? Yeah, it's, it's comics. It's fine. Nobody's dying. <laughs> do you want to, in terms of our main topics, do you want to uh, um, do you want to do, do, do yours first or do you, want, do you want me to do mine first? Uh, do yours. Let's do yours first. This is how well prepared we do these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> how well, all, all, how well all planned these are. During the final <laughs> Um Okay, so you want to do mine first. Um, yeah. So I, I want to talk about, uh, because this was you for me, right? So I wanted to talk about the idea of, of if you want to get involved in comics, you want to start making comics. Um, comics is, in some cases, can be really accessible, right? If you if you find the right person, you reach out to the right person, there are a lot of incredibly helpful people in, com in comics that will just help you and guide you. Um, and I found that with you, right? So when I when I was kind of getting into lettering, I sent you some some stuff that I'd done, uh, some yeah. pages that I'd done, and you gave me this incredible feedback. And you know, you drew all over it and told me how bad it was and why I should quit. Uh, no, you, you gave me the... for your permission first. No, no, you gave me no, you gave me a really, really, really good, um, uh, you know, put, review portfolio there, there, there were a couple of things which were like um, they're they're fairly obvious things, but. Uh, if you come outside from outside the industry, you might not have thought about it. Like, for example, one of the things that Haas was doing was off-panel balloons were going kind of willy-nilly. And I just pointed yeah. out, like, you just need to point them where the person is, right? That's yeah, I had I had balloons, like, at the basis of a panel where, like, someone's feet were just kind of going to the right, which yeah. now obviously made it look like someone was, like, crawling on the ground on the next <laughs> panel, uh, speaking at a low... Like, yeah, so it was really... But it, it, it was incredibly yeah. helpful. And what, what But what's interesting is... And why I wanted to talk about this is that essentially what I was doing was I was getting in touch with you and going, I want to do what you do uh, technically and therefore almost in a sense, if you want to look at it 
in like a mean way. I want to yeah. be like a competitor to you, right? <laughs> and so it's almost like asking you to help someone that could be your competitor in the future. Um, yeah, but see, I, I, what... yeah, I feel I feel like you should always help your competition because it kind of makes every everybody else better. Like one of the biggest driving things in my lettering career is that I watch you do something and then I'm like, why did that not occur to me? So <laughs> that, that's, I think, it's, essential. It, it, it did occur to you. I just stole it from you, you know, a month before. Well, that's how <laughs> but, but also, like, there's a lot of stuff that, um, see, I, I felt like um, it took me five years to kind of get to the point where I was... I, I felt like I was both good and efficient. And right. a lot of those things um, were given to me by other people, but there was no like sort of one person that I could have gone to to say like, look, um, will you teach me what, what you kind of want to know? Mm -hmm. So uh, I had to, like I, I learned from like 20 different people and like I made a mistake that kind of um, slowed me down for like four or five years before I found out a better, more efficient way to do it. What was your mistake? So I, um, no, as in like a bunch of mistakes. Like I used to, for example, never use text boxes. I would like okay. copy paste the text and then I would have to uh, stack it before I moved it around. Exactly. Like that's, that's cringy. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, and it took me like two years of doing that before I started, like before I discovered that you could use text boxes. So right. I just figured that while I'm not going to like necessarily teach you how to do this, I'm going to like, why would I want you to make mistakes that slow you down for no reason? Mm -hmm. Right. So if you have the right kind of questions, if you have good questions, then uh, you should, you deserve to get somebody who tells you stuff, right? Like who, right. who basically just um, helps you out. Like why, why, why reinvent the wheel is how I feel about this. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I think comics is a place where everybody, like there, there are very few schools about this, right? Like it's not like mm -hmm. people go to school to make comics. Most right. people are like in their twenties and they're just trying to figure it out. So, mm -hmm. I find that I feel that it's our duty to like it's simple stuff. Like I have I have art templates in my Dropbox for whenever like a new artist is going to make a comic that I'm going to work on. I just pass those on to the writer to give them to the artist. Right. Like this is a right. basic thing that they should know. Yeah. Right. And it would help them with other people as well. Like I I find that like uh, at some point of time somebody sent me a page that was clearly made from my own template. <laughs> but I had not passed it on to them. It's it come right. like some from somewhere else. So that kind of stuff yeah. is just like it's it's like a community. It's like a yeah, yeah. That. And I think we kind of owe it to the new people because somebody did that for us, right? Like I I might not have had one mentor, but I got the advice of like people like Todd Klein, Tom Orzikowski, Nate Picos, Clem Robbins when I was starting out, and that helped me so much. So I just think that yeah. everybody deserves. It reminds me of, uh, it reminds me, so we, like, I, I made a, like a good long few years ago, I made a, a documentary about wrestling. And one of the things, one of the people we interviewed was a guy called Robbie Brookside, who had been wrestling for like 30 years. Uh, and he told me the story of when he got into professional wrestling. And that was like in the, I want to say it was like in the 70s, um, when he was like a, a young kid and wrestling was still like, you know, like protected. Like they didn't, they didn't openly talk about how it, it was. Right. Uh, the thing was not. Yeah, sport. Yeah. right and and so what he said was you go to this wrestling school right and you turn up the first day and then you would have like a match and basically this dude would just throw you around and like batter you up and and, and slap the the crap out of you right and then if you turned up again the second time uh th then they might 
they might maybe they'll do it again, right? But then you turn up the third time and they might go, okay, this kid, this kid cares, right? This kid's interested in this thing. And yeah. I think that's that's also an interesting thing with comics is it I, I have not I've been doing this for, th for three years and I have not met anyone or worked with anyone really that is not like really passionate about what they're doing because it's such a it's such an insane medium and it's such an insane uh decision to work in it that you I don't think you decide to do that on an ongoing basis if you don't genuinely care about it. But I think that's right, also yeah. like, and I think that's nice to see from people when you're working with them is like, you can you can tell if someone cares about this thing. And so if someone's like in touch with you and wants to, you know, wants to ask you questions about something, you can tell that they're passionate and that they care. Um, it yeah. becomes really, really easy. Like for me personally, it becomes really, really easy to want to like talk to that person, help that person and do whatever I can to kind of, um, you know, give them some advice or like recommend them for things or put them forward or whatever. Like I think, um, when you see that passion and, and comics, you see that passion. I think so often, yeah. it's easy to it's easy to to put that person forward. And um, I, it's it's also bringing to mind one thing that hasn't happened on this podcast yet, but it's an episode that we have recorded um, yeah. with with Ariana uh, Ma, who's a who's another letterer. Um, and she talked about, for example, sometimes she'll get a job that she she doesn't necessarily think is like a fit for her, but she will recommend another letterer. And Absolutely, I've had because yeah. I and I've done that. I've done, you know like I had a conversation with you a week ago or something about recommending someone for you. Um, exactly. And yeah. and it's it's weird because we're again we're in theory we're all vying for similar jobs, but we're also aware of what of what kind of the other person can do that it, maybe not is that not our particular skill set. Exactly, exactly. By the way, Nate Picos is here, and like he's we were just talking about him, and he's basically one of those people where he makes free fonts like pretty much every month that mm -hmm. anybody can use in their indie comic, right? Like as long as long as it's not like a DC Marvel Dark Horse kind of comic, you can use that for free, and that's mm -hmm. something that was incredibly helpful for me when I was starting out because, um, yeah. like I mean these. I live in India and like a dollar is kind of expensive. So like a right. 50 to 60 dollar font is incredibly expensive when you're starting out here. So mm -hmm. basically having like a free font that you can professionally use in your comic uh, when you're starting out is incredibly helpful. So somebody mm -hmm. like Nate is great. And he was also part of the forum when I was starting out and he would he was uh, one of the people who would give us critiques. So right. that kind of stuff is also incredibly useful. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say something like uh, you want mentors who kind of stop you from being exploited right. Uh, right. which also kind of helps everybody else not to be exploited because uh, again like this is this was an experience of mine because i live in india uh, when mm -hmm. i was starting out everybody would ask for like you know uh, outsourcing rates Right. Because they would just figure that, like, you live in India, why do you want, why do you want to be paid as much as everybody else? And mm -hmm. I always felt that my responsibility is not just to myself and to my work, but also mm -hmm. to everybody else who's working. Like, if sure. if I'm getting paid like three dollars, then the other it's more difficult for the other person to get paid like ten or fifteen dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, I think that kind of helps everyone out, like basically sharing uh, at least minimum rates. Like you might not necessarily want to share your own rates, but at least like, okay, here's a decent rate that everybody should be getting paid. Like for this example, is... com for comics, that's like $10. Like I don't think anybody should be charging less than $10 for a comic. And right. I kind of think everybody who does is a bit, bit of a scab. For lettering. <laughs> for lettering, yeah, sorry. For lettering, yeah, yeah. No, there's a comment here um, from Junie. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fling up on the screen because look at this, look at this yeah. technology. This is fantastic. Oh yeah, they're if fancy. You're, if you're listening to this on the audio only version, I'm really sorry. Um, but the, there's a, as Junie here mentioned, um, 
uh, asking creators for advice and stuff and them saying you should learn that for yourself. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think that's not necessarily, but I think there is there is a, I can kind of understand the viewpoint, like if you've been doing this for decades and you've seen people kind of come up to you and ask for advice and then it, it's kind of like they're using that as a, as a shorthand to not do some work or, you know, kind of like to not put the time in themselves. I think you can get disheartened yeah. by that easily. Um, exactly. I, I think it's like, um, the problem is that if the other person is using you to do their homework, that's, right, that's right. a problem. That's, that's not yeah. okay. Right. Yeah. Like I've had that as well. Like I've had people come and basically ask me to like teach them how to letter. And I'm like, well, you've not Googled this clearly. So yeah, yeah. You, should, you should at least like check up on what's out there before you ask me specific questions. Yeah, I think yeah. that's part of that. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. See, I, th I think uh, generally speaking, rather than asking people for advice, it's better to come to them with specific questions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, because if you say, if you tell me that, hey, teach me lettering. I don't kind of know where to start, mm -hmm. but if you say like, how do I do this one little trick? I, I yeah. have an answer for that. I can give you that. Right. It also, but it also shows someone that's kind of like, um, someone that's already put some work in to get to a certain point. Um, like, uh, you know, like, I, I mean, we've done that meet between, between the two of us, right? You know, like we, like I've asked you like, how do you do this like specific thing or whatever? And yeah. I've shown you some of like the stuff that I've been doing and things and, and you kind of learn it again from each other. Yeah, and, and it comes back to your point about, about sharing rates or like baseline rates for stuff. And that we're, we're, we all kind of want everyone else to, we want, we don't want to, you know, it's not, it's not, you don't really want to be like the only good person in your field. You want to, you want everyone else to kind of be, be at the next stage because then it pushes you and it, to get better. Absolutely. And it, pushes, it pushes them to get better. And it means that everyone's kind of creating more interesting work. And especially with the rates, I think that is a thing where it's so easy for someone coming in to get a, a kind of you know starting out with 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 not getting paid for, for for jobs which is not an ideal situation but is it happens and it's also a good way to kind of get some training wheels you know on feel like yeah. i did a whole ton of stuff for, for, for no money before i started um but it's when you start doing professional stuff it's like knowing what is a, is a rate to walk away from knowing actually how long certain stuff takes you knowing when yeah. you're working with, with a with a, uh, a company that maybe there's uh, certain kind of things you have to do in a certain specific way to, to deliver pages that you don't know. And so you're gonna have to learn that. And so essentially you're adding even more time to your slate, that sort of thing. And it's it's nice to have places and people to come to, to say like, look, I've just taken this thing on, like I'm just not quite sure how to do this one bit. And I know it's gonna come yeah. up, like, would you be able to help? And I think rather than closing that stuff off, it just it just makes more sense to me to to open it up because if you're if you're working on the basis of fear of like well this person's going to come for my job at some point that also kind of speaks to a an non-confidence in your own abilities to me i guess like you you yeah. surely you, like i'm the kind of person and i know that you are too that you would look at that and go look i'm just gonna have to get better like i'm just gonna have to level yeah. up my game too no absolutely absolutely yeah like uh because my effort is always like see if if somebody thinks of me as interchangeable with other like another letter or like it's just about the rate or it's just about something else, then clearly I have not been doing enough of a good job right. because like, I, you know, that's what you want to have, right? Like you want to have mm -hmm. collaborators who go for you, even if you charge like a little more because they like what you do, they like working with you. Yeah. That's the important stuff. Like, and I think um, closing new people out of the industry in some way or the other is just detrimental to everybody. Mm -hmm. For sure. Because, for sure. You, because you also want that kind of excitement. Like, and then this is an entire medium we're talking about, right? Like you want mm -hmm. the kind of excitement that comes from new people doing new things and um, essentially like showing you up. Right, right.
For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there yeah. is there a is there a bit of advice we could give to someone who I mean we're talking about lettering, but I think this is this is kind of this translates across any any sort of section of comics that you want to get into, be it writing or or uh, inking or or penciling or whatever. Do you think? I'm trying to think, like, do you think someone needs to, if someone came to you and said, look, I want to get into lettering, would you want them to already kind of have, like, a page where they'll go, look, look this is what I've done, like, can you help me with this? Or would you want them to uh, already have a, a short, or would you want them just to be, like, fresh, completely fresh? I've read Jim's, Jim Campbell's uh, uh, introduction. Like, what what do you think someone, when do you think is the right time for someone to kind of, like, reach out to, to someone else in their field and kind of say, like, I want to be where you are, how, how do I do that? Yeah, I think they need to have at least done a page because uh, lettering is something so specific that like if you've literally never tried it and you're coming to me that, hey, I want to do this for a living. Mm -hmm. Do you really like, because it's such an easy thing to just sit and do. Like, you, I mean, you don't even <laughs> really need Illustrator and stuff. Like you can just have gone into Photoshop and like lettered a page with like Myriad Pro as I, as I lettered my first comic, by the way, that was like the right. very first comic I made was lettered with Myriad Pro and like we right. drew this like dull gray background as caption backgrounds. It's just ugly. <laughs> as well. but at least like that was a beginning, right? Like somebody mm -hmm. thought that, okay, this is interesting to me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like if somebody comes to you and wants to be an artist and they've literally never drawn anything, that's right. just, I mean, you had all the time in the world. You didn't have to have a good drawing. You just had to have a drawing, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's at least necessary. I think, I, think that, off, I was going to say, uh, off the, just off, off the back of that as well, like that, that point is, is that if you're coming to someone saying like, look, I want to get into lettering, where do I start? That there, there are a million places. Well, not there isn't. There's like four, but there's a there's a handful of places that you can you can find very very easily if you just Google like yeah. how do I letter comic books. There's a book, you know. There's the DC, maybe a little bit out of date, but there's, there's the, the DC one. Uh, I, I think it's still pretty helpful. Uh, okay. There's the there's there's Jim's there's Jim's uh, PDF blog floating around. So there are places that you can find pretty like pretty easy. Like I found Jim's thing just you know just from Googling it. Um, and so there are and like for example, if you I want I want to draw comics, there are a whole ton of places that you could go to first. Like a book that will teach you more fundamentally than anyone can really give you you know over an email or whatever. Um, so there are there are kind of like stepping stones. I think that it would be like it's interesting to see if people have got that that far before they do that and i'm always right. happy to like suggest a bunch of like i always use gyms i like if someone's like how do i get into lettering i was like just look at jim campbell's blog yeah that's I, how think, I, I, think, I think i send them to that or like uh, probably balloontails.com or something because um right. i can understand not wanting to put money into it at the very beginning uh mm -hmm. because you want to try it and see if it works so like i'll basically advise them to try out like inkscape rather than illustrator or like affinity right. designer uh which mm -hmm. is like much cheaper but Try it before um, coming to anybody else because you. I think you need to have something. Like I, I don't mind if you hand lettered a page. That that's good enough. Like if yeah. you literally yeah. like, just printed something out and hand lettered it and look, look, this is what I've done. That's good enough. Mm -hmm. but something that you've tried out that I can work with. Like I, I, I know where you are and I know what kind of tell you. Mm -hmm. um, Nate Nate Picos just pointed out in the chat that. Ooh, uh, could, you, could you highlight that? Yeah, you fancy thing. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so he's had uh, people come to him for lettering advice and then found out that they just wanted to like become an artist of writing. And that's very true. Like, yes, there's a lot of letterers who become writers or artists, but but you need to respect what's being done there, right? Like you need mm -hmm. to respect the art of lettering itself. Mm -hmm. um, like I know a few letterers who become writers who are, I would still say like, you know, they're, they're pretty good letterers. Mm -hmm. But there are others where 
you know, you that's just a waiting game for them. Like it's like for some some people, it's like flatting comics. Like flatting, they flat comics till they kind of just get their writing careers going. That like I don't know. I think uh, in in that case, like I would be resistant to kind of give them too much advice. I would say. Like, right. I, agree, I, agree. I mean, I mean, that's what you've done, isn't it? You've, you're you're using lettering to get into writing and drawing comics. <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> writing now, but uh, it's a long I, road, I'm, a very long road. Yeah, and also, like, I don't think I'm gonna quit lettering uh, to do that. Like, that's. No, I'm, 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 why did I'm, you I'm very happy earning my money through lettering while I write. <laughs> Some, there's, there's, a, there's, a, a, there's a comment here which I think is interesting uh, that we've also had from uh, Levi. I think you, this is probably a good pronunciation. Um, who said that he went to a panel at a con and an artist was speaking on the subject of mentorship. And he mentioned the first thing he does is tell the, the person that asked the question to go draw 100 pages and come back for commitment. That to me is probably a bit extreme. And in the over 100 pages, you, you can very easily pick up some terrible habits that are gonna be harder to unlearn. Um, but no, I think, but I think, it's, I think I, it's also about like, let's say, let's say you wanna draw, let's say you wanna become an illustrator. Yeah. And you've only drawn ten pieces right. in your life. Like, right. how do those two things don't translate? Right, 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 right. Right. So, like, I think that's this is that what that's about. Like, you've got to be passionate about the thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you're passionate about the thing, if you're passionate about making comics, like um, most comic artists that I know, like who let's say let's say they started out very early. Let's say they started at the age of twelve or something. By yeah. the age of like eighteen, they'd already definitely drawn like a hundred pages. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. Yeah. I get. I. I like. Yeah. I, I'm coming at it from a from a place of from a place of like if you already are interested in that thing, like how do I, how do I take it to the next to the next to the next level? Um, but yeah, I think if you're this is that's the difference. That's what we're talking about being passionate. I think is yeah. is there's a difference between just thinking like I want to do that thing and then working to make that thing happen. And if you're, and I, but you can. I think as, as as we said before, like I think you can tell when people are like. Uh, when people are passionate about that thing, which is what, so this is what, which is what Nate's also followed up with, uh, yes. saying that he's more than happy to help folks who are passionate about lettering, um, which is the case of what we were talking about. I think you know, you get the sense from someone like, is this? Do you want to do this because it's just a way to get into comics, or do you want to do it because you kind of are really, really interested in in the? It's, uh, it's like let's say, let's say let's say you read a new graphic novel and you can clearly tell that this is this needs this wants to be a movie. Mm -hmm. But they just couldn't get it to they made it a comic. It's very clear, like you can you can generally tell. And yeah. I, I mean you generally don't respect those comics particularly. So right. <laughs> because there's nothing specific about them. Comics is not I like I don't know, like I don't know why you would get into comics unless you were passionate about it. Yeah, that one that's the thing. It's 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 you can see like you know, there's always the, the, the comment of of like you know you can you, maybe a writer gets into comics because they want to pitch a movie at some point in the future or whatever. Um yeah. but I, I I'm I'd be very I guess Nate's met people, but like, I, like it, to me, if you to get into lettering, uh, so that you could get you could sell a movie at some point would be it's just the worst idea I could possibly think of. <laughs> it's a, it just seems like such a terrible path yeah, to, but, but I, to selling honest, your movie. I'll be honest, in the first couple of years of my career, that was my bread and butter. Like because I didn't have any published credits, so it right. was just like uh, screenplay writers who had come to like a comic book writer to say like you know just help me turn this into a comic, and we'd do issue one of that and nothing else. But you wouldn't be the letterer. You wouldn't. You wouldn't be thinking like I'm going to sell uh, the next sci-fi epic. But then my path in is uh, oh, I'm gonna yeah. some uh, books first. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Ariana. I just, yes. I just want to mention this again because we we have talked about this before 
probably like almost every time we've done an episode. Um, but Jim Campbell, who you'll know as a letterer from basically e every comic book um, ever. <laughs> Jim, Jim letters a lot of comics. Um, but you'll know Jim from, he letters like a, some like 2008, a lot of boom stuff, that sort of thing. Um, and he, yeah, he has a blog, he has a blog um, that it was basically my training into like learning how to letter. Um, yeah. It's really, really informative. It's really, and it's really simple, like, you know, really simple, clear, direct process steps in terms of the sort of the technical skills of like, how do I actually like make these shapes and how do I make tails and how do I do all that stuff in Illustrator? It's incredibly like if you we always say this on the show, like if you want to get into lettering, like that's that that would be my recommendation to check out that thing. Absolutely, yeah. Like I started out with balloontails.com, but uh, basically they're like a set of articles, right? Like so I had to kind of like, um, okay, I need to do this one thing. Let me kind of browse through it and figure out uh, how to do it. Like while mm -hmm. just uh, PDF is basically like a line by line guide. Like, That's how to make right. the balloon. Here's how to make tails. Here's burst balloons, etc. Um, mm -hmm. The top line book is also like quite useful in that way. But as Ha uh, said, it's a little outdated. Um, I would say that it's still well worth reading because uh, Todd does talk about lettering in a way that obviously Todd is like a veteran and like he's one of the best letterers in the world. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of knowledge he's dropping in that book that is relevant to you, uh, even like about the non-technical aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to uh, address this quickly. Uh, Nick, yep. guys, could you become that one? Yep. All uh, right. So, like, uh, Nick already answered that. Like, uh, so this is about like hand lettering and using games guide. Uh, 3.5, I think, is correct because it generally translates to like 2 to 2.5 uh, mm in actual print. And that's kind of like if you have a, like a medium width kind of lettering going on, then 2 to 2.5 mm height is what you generally end up with. So when you're lettering on the boards, you would generally go for like 3.5. 3. Uh, when I was doing graffiti's wall, uh, I, I went for 2.5, but that was just the X height. Like that was not the entire height of the letters. Um, and then I had to reduce it to two because I was actually lettering at size. So I kind of had to get it smaller and it taught me like how to letter at different sizes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I cheated when uh for the one the one like full book that you I did, did it digitally. Uh, I did it digitally, so I could I, I used the font we were already using in the book and created I created like a line guide that I uh, just <laughs> overlaid. So that's the if you want to do the cheat way. <laughs> that's right, the cheat I, way of I kind it. of do that. Uh, I don't use it as a guide. I just use it as like before I hand letter. I just do a digital mockup to show the writer because uh, oh I did I didn't. Right. No, I didn't. Yeah, I, did, I just, I just, I like, as in, like, I just took a page from an earlier. No, I, I get what you with. mean. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't cheat yeah. that much. <laughs> right. Uh, speaking of Jim, I think we can can you click on the last one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know about that because uh, the problem with Affinity Designer is the output format, and generally, like, uh, people want EPS or AI. And EPS you can render from Affinity Designer, but uh, AI you can't actually. I don't think you can render that. I think you can mm -hmm. sort of render a PDF and then convert. And I don't feel like Affinity Designer is that much easier to use to kind of just shift permanently. But if you're starting out, it's definitely way better as a tool because it's cheaper. Yeah. Um, much so cheaper, I would yeah. just say, professionally, I would say like most people will want you to use uh, Illustrator because that's the kind of format that everybody's using. Right. Yeah, so, if you're delivering, if you're delivering lettering files, I think you probably. Yeah, it's a purely technical thing. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with creativity or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to take another question from before? Uh, before we shift to the other topic. Um, well, or I want to. I want to ask. 
I want to ask you something real quick uh, to, to kind of like, because I think to, to kind of like get to, to sum up this topic um, is, is there anything that you think we need to be better at sharing uh, either as a whole industry, like as all people that are making comics or, or just as a kind of like a group of letterers, is there, um, is there something that you think like we need to be better? Because we talked about rates and rates, I, I've never really gone to ask people about rates, but everyone that I have has been pretty open about sharing. Like, you know, if I'm saying like, is this reasonable to you? Um, but do you think, but for, on your, you know, on your side, is there anything that you think we should, we really should be talking more about this thing. We really should be talking about as letterers and we really should be talking more about this thing as a comics creator community as a whole. I, I think it comes down to rates most of the time because okay. that's, that's the bit where a lot of people get exploited and they kind of get screwed. Um, like I, I have talked to so many artists who told me rates that they got, and I'm just like, how, how did that happen? And they just like, I didn't know better. Right. Um, so, like, I, I know, like, my first lettering job, the writer got paid less than I did. Right. Okay. And it's a very strange thing. I was getting paid like shit, and the writer was getting paid worse than me mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. he just got to check like how much you get for a comic. So. Right. Like that kind of stuff, uh, it, it's incredibly important because um, there's a relaxation that you have when you know that you're going to get this this much money. Like, right. otherwise, it's a very stressful place to be. Like, even if you love comics, if you're just not making a living, it's a very stressful place to be. And the more we can help more people make a living out of it, mm -hmm. um, I think everything else is kind of just gravy on top. Right, 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 right. Right. Yeah, I think no, I think I, I agree. I think like you know, there's been times, there's been times where, um, you know, I've been offered projects uh, and the rate comes in that's incredibly low, and you just it, you you know, and you know at that point you kind of know actually you actually know how long that will take. And I think that's the big thing is you can you can make a because getting a, getting a per page rate because that's typically how we as letters cost things we we do it per page. Um, so if you get given a page rate and you think well, uh, you know what, actually if you times that by 20 or if it's you know a bigger book it times up by 100 doesn't seem too bad but then if you actually are aware of how long this kind of thing is going to take you you can start to do the maths and say well actually how much money is that per hour how much money is that per pay, uh, per, per day or whatever um yeah. and that's the information that you probably you know it's the information you don't really have at the start it's also information where sometimes if you're starting out and you get offered a anything any money and you think well times that by 20 that's pretty that's better than i got paid before um and, you know there is an element to that but there is also, you know, the other other side of that is you end up kind of driving down the the floor. And so that only comes to affect you in the future. So if you yeah. think it's okay to take a job for five dollars now, um, you know, in, in, in three, four, five years, essentially what you could be doing is, is creating an environment where people think it's okay to go that low and bring that that down. See, and that, that affects the high that affects the top end too. That's that's what happened with lettering, right? Like uh, basically in the shift from hand lettering to digital lettering, um like too many people kind of went for volume and dropped their rates so low that even like at this point, I know veterans who get paid about the same that I do. And right. that's just unfair. That's just wrong. Right, right. And that happens because digital kind of like people just like the, the, the floor just dropped. Mm -hmm. And that is horrible thing to happen. Like on the other hand, you see, you see coloring. Coloring has gone up because when you shifted to digital, you could do a better job. It became more intricate. It became more integral to the storytelling, right. and basically, people respected it. Like no, nobody, nobody, like 
nobody kind of did the thing of like dropping the lyrics so low that like right. it was not really worth it. I mean, I mean obviously yeah. there, are, there are certain studios who sell for very low rates, but the thing is everybody recognizes that they are just like uh, utilitarian rather than like aesthetically. Right. You know, there's no aesthetic quality to that. Yeah. I'm not going to name any names, but uh, yeah. So like that's and it's been like it's taken us a lot of time to kind of bring lightning back up to like a sort of respectable rate, mm-hmm. which I I think is like we still we still not there yet. Right. And that did happen. That happened because of exactly that. So mm-hmm. yeah. So we've got there's, there's a there's a a point from Mariana yeah. that I'll put up, which is also a very good one. Um. Which is, uh, she says, I, I don't think we often discuss the need to encourage the use of contracts, especially for independent projects. Um, and I'll, I, I, yeah, I'll put my hands up and say I've done many, many, many uh, comics. I, I think I've signed like total six contracts in my entire right. life. Right. There's there's certain people you, that that you have a personal relationship with, and yeah. you you know I'm sure it'll be okay. But there's also instances where uh, it absolutely is the right choice to, to to have an agreement even if it's a simple agreement yeah. you know and we're going to do this much work at this page rate and if it goes beyond this scope of this then i'll have to you know things will have to get charged more because yeah. you know it, it's very, it's, it is especially with lettering you know i think it's really easy to find yourself in the situation where you deliver a book and then once and then you get a, you get the notes back and it's essentially a different comic book after that and you're looking at the <laughs> yeah. notes thinking like this isn't you know I, this isn't the book I I lettered. This is yeah. you've asked me to. Re, this has re, been rewritten, and and if you don't have an you know a solid contract in there, it must be so easy. Luckily, I've not been in that situation. But it must be it must be very easy for either the pay to be to be reduced or not given at all, or you find yeah. yourself in a situation where you're you're literally doing twice as much work. Absolutely, like I have a uh, like I have an email that I send every new collaborator that says that um, you know it's basically this rate applies for like um, one. Uh, Actual version and then two revisions, and right. I basically talk, like write it as like reasonable revisions, which is like less than fifty percent of the pages changed, and more mm-hmm. than that, like I just have to charge you again. So yeah. that's still an email. That's not a contract, and like I would love, mm-hmm. yeah, for that to be a thing. True. It I'll just send be you. I've got, I've got a very, expensive. I've got a very basic agreement. Right. Uh, that I that I that I use that is very very. It's essentially that email, but in a way where you just get someone to sign it. Um, right. It's a very yeah. It's a very. Like very a memo. I, mean, I think they call something. They call like memos or something, something like that. It's like a. Well, in my like in my like, in my old job, we used to have these very 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 heavy like full contracts uh, that had like the full terms and everything. And like the, going from that to nothing is a little bit weird. Um, but yeah, so I, I if especially if it's new people I haven't worked with before, I'll usually try and tr- I'll, I'll I'll if I remember well enough, I'll try and give a, a very simple agreement, which I think is a good it's a very very good good point, good thing to do. Um, yeah. uh, uh, I can I can share the the agreement. It's a very simple. Like I don't, I'm not I'm sure that if I share it, a solicitor will come along and be like, this means nothing. Um, but I'll, <laughs> but I'll, I'll happily we'll put it in the in the on the audio version of this. We'll put it in the the show notes. Um, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll happily share that. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, so, do you think we've? I don't know if you're listening to this. If you think there's anything else you want to add to this, um, we'll we can circle back around at the end of uh, at the end of the episode. If there's anything you yeah. want to specifically mention about, um, you know, sharing knowledge, or if there's anything that you would have, uh, you know, you if you're an aspiring creator of some kind, and there's information that you would want, or information about how to approach someone, anything like that. Just if you want to ask us a question about that, we're happy to answer it. And we'll, we'll circle back around. Um, yeah, we'll be around for a bit more. So, like, if you post that, like, we'll talk about it in a bit. Yeah. yeah. So, right. Betty, do you want to move to your topic? Uh, sure, yeah. So, uh, basically, I figured that you do this kind of for a living, and 
that's how you got into the industry. So I thought like it would be interesting to talk about formal formal analysis because uh, right. I'm also like sort of from an academic background, but for prose, like I did my MA in English literature before mm-hmm. I just threw that away and wasted my life. Actually, no, I was wasting <laughs> my life before that. Um, yeah, so <laughs> let's see. Like, I mean, uh, let's let's start with something recent. Like, you you just posted a thread about Darwin Cook's Parker, right? Right. So, do you actually read a book thinking about okay, here's what I'm looking for, or here's what I can say about it? Like, do you actually get to just read a comic anymore? The 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 Darwin Cook one was was uh, I just wanted to read it again. And then, uh, and I got distracted. It's literally the first page, and I got distracted by the first page. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." And I started looking at it and just trying to figure out why it was really cool. Uh, yeah. And then what I realized was, it, I was like, I'd finished my reading session, and I'd, I, I just didn't like the first page. Um, so that was a little bit difficult. No, it's it's it always makes me think of because I did so my I did a degree in film production. It always makes me think about in like the first week of that film production degree, our lecturer said to us. Um, it's going to be difficult for you to watch a film again after we t- t- teach you all this stuff because essentially a film is is when it's shown you uh, is it's, it's not asking you to look at the way it's, it's not it's asking you to ignore the scenes right it's asking you just to 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 get involved in the story get lost in the characters and and, and yeah, discover the story for a little bit right and and I think that's the same and it, it did it really doing that degree really messed up watching films because then you start to to think about like, oh, it's really cool how they lit this thing. I wonder how they lit this if it was, you know, if it was um, uh, special lighting or if they just use the, the on, on location uh, lights and different fixtures and all that kind of nonsense. Um, and so doing the same thing with comics, I think it, it does have that effect where like, it's quite difficult to switch off the brain and be like, I'm just going to read this purely for fun. I'm not going to look mm-hmm. for anything to talk about because I just naturally find myself getting lost in, in the craft side of stuff, uh, right. which is not helpful when you just want to read it for fun. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, I, I can't look at anything b- without looking at the lettering first. Like, there are books that I haven't <laughs> read because they're heavily lettered. E- even right. when somebody posts, uh, somebody posts a piece of art like on Twitter, I click on it and I'm like, "There's nothing special about the lettering." And then I look at the rest of the image and I'm like, "Oh, that's why they posted it." Sorry. <laughs> like, I, right. I have to mention that. Oh, other things can be important to other people. <laughs> but, so. So let's say, so like, do you get your ideas while reading it? Or like, do you think of an idea and then go looking through your books to kind of figure out what fits? Um, it's most, but, yeah, no, it's it's mostly from reading something. It's like mostly reading something, I'll notice something that I think is interesting. Uh, right, and want to talk about that. And, and then sometimes like the episode, if it's like a strip panel naked thing, sometimes the episode is not about the comic that I first noticed it in. Because I might, I'm, right. I, you know, I'll go looking for other stuff. Uh, that I can use as, as research or whatever, and I'll find like a better example somewhere else, or like a or, or a more perfect example somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so it's it's mostly drawn out of the stuff that I read, which is why what you see on like the channel and stuff is is probably of of a kind of comic. There's a lot right. of a certain kind of comic. There's much less superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's very little in terms of like manga or web comics because I I read them less frequently than I do kind of, I don't know what you'd call them, just mainstream indie US stuff, I guess, um, is the majority of what that kind of stuff is. I think um, that's mainstream pretty much. Yeah, so that's that's mostly what it revolves around. So it's, it's kind of just stuff that I'm reading. The problem yeah. comes like, the problem comes when like I'm not, uh, when, when I'm busy. And so the the, the, the sort of the, my, my kind of like at home reading becomes almost like work reading. Um, right, yeah. Which happens that's what I was wondering lot. about. Like, 
like does it okay but but i'm sure it's fun for you right like it's something you still oh yeah fun. yeah it's better than yeah. a real job yeah like i remember i was uh, i was reading american flag recently for the first time like finally because the right. first few pages are quite like uh, they they're very opaque they're not very inviting so mm -hmm. I, i kind of just avoided all along i finally kind of dived into it dove into it and i couldn't stop looking at the lettering like the lettering was so amazingly done like there's so many tricks that i'm definitely going to steal uh mm -hmm. to use in something else that i'm just right. like okay every every issue after reading every issue i go back and i'm like okay what what's what are they doing there like i take a screenshot um and even even the art like the there are these things that he does where um the panel is kind of not completely encompassing a figure right so you have figures breaking out of panels but like the white space kind of is still there it's not like there's another panel kind of intruding there the white right. space is still there and it kind of creates like a shape that like that's kind of creating like negative space it's it's mm -hmm. kind of doing things for the reader and yeah. i was just like couldn't stop looking at that stuff and the comic itself i'm like this is fine this is not my favorite comic <laughs> but like there's so much interesting stuff here yeah I, there is i think sometimes you sometimes it's hard for me to decide if this is more just like me as a person or if it's the work sometimes i find the the techniques i'm seeing on the page more interesting than the story i'm reading right um, and i have a lot of again, yeah i don't i don't know maybe that like i'm probably a bit more wired that to 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 think that way generally but i think there's i think i think we've argued in the past about like uh, like basically something that is not like well written something you particularly find very interesting still because of certain thing that that it does well i'm like that's just a shit comic like why do you like it? I think even but even in the bad so we I think what we talked about before was like even in you know if something is just is just is just uh universally accepted to be not not very good right mm -hmm. and it's and it's not well written or whatever that I think there's still something interesting in like how did it become so bad like there's <laughs> there was a there's a podcast right and I, I can't remember what it's called but it's like uh, how did it get made or whatever yeah, right yeah, right and that's kind of like a jokey spin on it but, but I think there is genuinely something in in if you read the comic and this is for anyone listening to this as well like if you've read a comic and you've been like this is genuinely terrible like i have no idea how no one who wrote this drew this colored this or let this at any point was like why is this so bad um i i don't have a i'm not i don't have a good example of it but like i think you can look at that and be like figuring out why that thing is bad is just as interesting in many cases as looking at something that's a masterpiece and thinking how that how is this thing so good because True. it's I, you know how hard it is to create something right like i like i've made a, 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 a myriad of terrible films and at no no state no point in the, the process of making those things that i was i planning to make a bad film i was <laughs> i was trying my hardest to make something good and it came out terrible and so I don't think people are specifically making bad bad work they they're trying yeah. to make something good and it's not working for x x number of reasons and figuring out what those reasons are and how they happened is incredibly interesting like if you watch yeah. the, have you seen i don't know if you've seen the film american movie and it's about a guy in like a small town who makes who makes films with like a the, just the people in his like local radio right. and the films are not very good but the documentary is incredible watching because watching that happen is incredibly fascinating and that's i think it's the same with bad comics yeah like, there's actually a similar documentary um about indian movies called uh, i think it's called superman of malaga where right. basically there's this little town called malaga in maharashtra uh, right. where a bunch of people kind of get together and essentially do rip off of like famous movies so right. they'll do like their version of like a popular movie 
So like mm-hmm. they build their version of Superman or like whatever, and it's all like illegal, obviously. Right. But it's just people kind of making movies because they want to make them, and they're terrible. But it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I think I think you're right. Like uh, recently, I not so recently, like last year, I lettered a comic that I was genuinely puzzled by, like why this exists. <laughs> and right. Okay. It was genuinely fascinating to me because at that I sat down and I was like, what is wrong with this comic? This this comic is shit in almost every way I can imagine. <laughs> right. What happened? And then I was like, okay, like I can see the mistakes that they made. Like I can see what they should have been thinking and what they thought instead. And mm-hmm. that was quite illuminating, so to speak. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think all of this helped you in your work? Like not just as a like as a letterer and a writer, or but like, do you think it helps, or do you think it makes you just makes you more conscious? Yeah, I think it. I think I think a bit of both. Like I think it does. I think it absolutely makes you more conscious. Like I think I think if you are if you are looking at what's working in work that you find en- enjoyable, um, I don't think you need to replicate that thing. But you can look at right. why it's working. I think that, that I think that's really interesting. Like um, you know, it's very it's very. I think it can it can be easy to like to like ruin some stuff because you can you lose the magic of it and i use i use this analogy all the time i may have done it on this show before but like i always liken it to like watching a pen and teller routine so mm. you can love magic right and you can and the reason you love magic is because you see something that doesn't make sense and your brain can't wrap around how that thing has happened like you know you i'm doing the thumb thing right that's not real magic yeah mm. first time you see that you're like what oh my god <laughs> um but if you see a real magic trick and you and you see it in, in person and you think like that is unbelievable that's incredible and then you see the Penn and Teller routine, which is often deconstructing that in a really stupid yeah. way. So like they do the cup and balls thing where you, you know you put like a, a ball under a cup and then you lift it and the cup the ball's gone. And it'll appear under a cup next to it. And they do that routine with invisible cups. So you can see them hiding things under cup. the cups. Yeah. 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 Sorry, not invisible cups, transparent cups. So you can see them hiding stuff under the cups. And and in you would assume that, that would then ruin the the, the magic because yeah. The assumption is that the magic is all about the is all about the wow. But what they're doing is by kind of revealing how it, it works, they're also making it interesting in their performance. And so right. that that to me is like the deconstruction that all the formal analysis of comics is. If I look at lettering that I think is really really interesting, um, you can enjoy appreciate that on the gut level of like that is uh, aesthetically pleasing to me. But then if you take it the next the step further and say, okay, so why is that aesthetically pleasing to me? Then it becomes more useful. So it's aesthetically pleasing because there's a stroke. Maybe there's a custom stroke on the balloon and it, it doesn't look hard and digital or whatever. It looks a bit more analog. And you and I think, well, how can I, if that's appealing to me, it's probably going to be appealing to someone else. So how can I steal that or you use right. that in, in yeah. my own work? And by doing that, it also it allows you to understand why something works, which I think is important when you're applying that somewhere. Absolutely. I think that why is incredibly important because I will see people kind of replicating tricks or like using um, some, some kind of formal method. But mm-hmm. like there is no why, as in like there is no... There's no reason why this should have been done here, right? Uh, you know, you know, like the one take, uh, one take thing in movies. Um, like mm-hmm. I haven't watched 1917, but everybody who's watched it comes back and says, like, I don't necessarily understand why this movie was a one take movie, right? You know, while something else, like in Children of Men, there's that one take shot. Mm-hmm. You can clearly understand why that shot exists like that. You can understand mm-hmm. what function is serving inside the story. Right. Um, I will read a comic and I will be like. Why did you do this here? Like, there's no need to do this thing here. Um, even lettering-wise, like there are. I mean, see, I, 
you could use every trick in the world like there was a question here about like using different fonts for different right. characters and stuff um uh, you could do that? every trick in the world but should you like do you need to? <laughs> um mm-hmm. and that that answered by the why like why is this what is what is this story trying to do that you could help with that so like right. this let we can actually answer this question right now like i think ariana actually answered uh, it right there um but basically is that more subtle and cost effective way of achieving a similar effect i think that definitely is i actually try and avoid using different fonts for different character voices i i will try and like as ariana said like you can use different color strokes in different different color balloons you can like, you know uh, use like rough um borders and stuff like that what you're trying to do is like everything should still feel like it's together right, right. and if you're losing that to kind of do a trick it kind of loses its uh, fascination like i think mm-hmm. we've had this argument a couple of times where reverse engineering like is that the best way to say kind of think about how you're making something like right. i i feel like i mean i feel like making something comes from the inside out like you you figure out what you want to say first and then you figure out like how you can say it and obviously sure. that kind of is a it's a it's an amalgam see uh, alan moore like he's one of my favorite writers but sometimes he falls on the wrong side of that right. like sometimes right. said, the trick is so much more important than the content in the book and i'm like right. no, you shouldn't have done that here like, this thing needed you know i think like, i think there's there was something that came up on uh in so the latest episode of the strip pound naked was with um andre araujo uh yeah. and he talked about and he talked well he so he talked in there and i think it was in that episode and i asked him about like how much of what you're doing because i've done these things with, i've done a lot of these i've done a lot of interviews with people for for the magazine and for strip pound naked and it's interesting to see the divide between what is stuff where someone is kind of like really kind of putting an analytical mind on the page and thinking like i want you to go from here to here to here to here um i'm doing this thing and what is and what is is instinctive like what what is kind of just happening because that's just the way you naturally draw and andre said in that one that for him a lot of it's just intuitive he's just he's just kind of drawing and that's the way it it, it looks right to him but he yeah. added the caveat that for him it's based off of a lot of reading and what he has found enjoyable himself like personally like what he has seen that has worked for him and i was i remember the the, the Declan Shalvey one i talked to him about doing the uh, stacks of you know wide screen stacks of panels yeah, he also and he just aligned right and he said he didn't realize that at the time he was just doing that instinctively but but there has to be i think it's weird to like that that i mean part of that is just left to right reading and 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 you know a uh, western world um but with with andres for example there is an element clearly in that of him looking at stuff and kind of knowing what he likes to see and what he doesn't like to see mm-hmm. and yeah. and therefore and being able to use that in his work and if that's conscious you know if if he's sitting down making a list of going like this uh, this works and this works and this works i don't think that's the case but i think yeah. he knows from looking at something what is working for him and what isn't working for him and what to work towards and what to move away from yeah no absolutely i think i think you can maybe even start with like okay i want to try this trick on this particular page but mm-hmm. after you do that you have to look at it and figure out if it looks right or not right and if it doesn't look right you need to throw it out because right i i i absolutely do not believe that lettering needs to be invisible but if it's gonna, <laughs> if it's going to be a stain issue there needs to be a reason for that yeah yeah um, you know i think I, i think like we you know we we talk a lot we've talked a lot about if lettering should be invisible but i think <laughs> there is an argument there is an argument to the idea that like you you can make lettering invisible until you don't need it to be anymore 
And I think that's kind yeah, of like yeah. you know, you know until, until you're doing until you try and make a point with a certain thing, you know, you want you want it to pop for it for a reason. It all comes back to like in the case of this, it all comes back to story, and that's the same thing with the yeah. formal analysis. Like, a, 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 a technique in a comic is not interesting if it's not adding something. And I like right. you talk about the the Darwin Cook one, so. I, the, one of the things that I really liked in the Darwin Cook thing in, in his Parker stories, and really in, in like all of his comic work, is using the tears of a comic. And he's very, he, 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 likes, a, he likes a solid structure in his, on his page. Um, yeah. And using the tears as a, as, a, as a phrasing section, almost. You know, like a kind of a, an action or a phrase exists on one tier, and then a, and then a new one exists in the next tier, and then a new one exists in the next tier. It's all part of the same, it's all part of the same sentence or paragraph mm. or whatever. But He's using the tier because there is a natural break at the end of a tier where you have to go from the right end of the page across to the left side of the page. Yeah, and you like you, you like you know in in like in like these savage shores and stuff, you guys did interesting things with with, with kind of going back across the page and stuff. But traditionally, with you know you're you're going left to uh, left to the to the right edge and then you're going down you're and you're stopping, going, you're going the back. And, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. and so that there's a natural break there, which is kind of interesting if you want if you think of that as a natural breaking point that you can say, well, this is a you know this is the the comma. At the end of each mm -hmm. each section of the sentence is at the end of the page, um, and so that's interesting. But it's interesting. It's only interesting to a point because if that if it's not if it's not using that to tell the story, then, yeah. it, then it ceases to become a, a thing that you would want to analyze further uh, than the right. kind of curio. And I think that's 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 what's that's what makes me want to talk about certain stuff like on strip panel, on my panel is like because it's in service of a, of an interesting story. Right. 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 Yeah, um, there's a, there's a question there for me that I could sort of like. I have one more question for you, by the way. Like, uh, I'm not done yet. Um, right. So, um, okay. So, since this is live, I think I can sort of answer this. Like, and it's been long enough that I can just let out the secret. And do you want to ask? Do you want to put the? Uh, do you want to say the question out loud just for the audience? Yeah, sure. Well. Okay. <laughs> um, for Aditya, I was curious how often you're asked to make an entire working font character set like the one you made for Izola. Uh, your work in that was some of my favorite next to these savages. Firstly, thank you so much. Uh, funny enough, like these savages also has a custom font. Uh, there's a character called Bisham who is writing letters in Malayalam. And uh, I'm, supp I'm supposed to render like, them in English, right? So um, I tried like regular skill font, like a meanwhile or um, uh, one of Nate's fonts, I think, Dragon Bone or something. It's called. But they did not look right because that unseal was incredible. Like, so unseals are basically, um, uh, they're like, they don't have a lowercase, uppercase distinction. That's the point of an unseal. Um, so like it, I was trying to I kind of try to like figure out how I could use one of those, but then I realized I'm gonna have to make one. So what I did was I looked at the Malayalam script, which is a very like it has a lot of round shapes to it, and I tried to kind of translate that into English. So it's sort of still an unseal, but it's like a. a big, I, I also did not want the Sanskrit flavored thing because like uh, that doesn't look right. Like because I I'm Indian, I know that Dravidian <laughs> scripts and Dravidian scripts and Sanskrit scripts are different. So like I needed something that respected the origin of the thing. So it it took me like two days I think because I only made one set of letters. I've like I had the text in front of me, so I, I knew which letters I needed to make. I did not make any numbers. That font still doesn't have any numbers. But I <laughs> needed a font because it was going to appear in like two issues and stuff. So I turned mm. that into a font. With Isola, it was actually completely different. Isola doesn't, there is no font there. Um, I'm actually hand lettering uh, the model language. Like, so that's what I think they're talking about. Like from issue three onwards, there's mm -hmm. a particular language that is used in uh, the comic that I hand letter all the time. 
um the the reason we had like brendan basically came to me and said that like we would like you to either develop a font or like a script that we can hide stuff in and when we started working on isola carl and i had had a long skype call where he talked me through some of his concerns and themes and stuff for the comic so basically when i was creating that language i uh, used the lo- language logic of a couple of indian languages to kind of simplify uh, so it it's not it's not a you can't you can't translate the moro language into like a english script it is there's actually i don't think you can you can translate that into any script so i kind of used certain language logics from indian languages like um, um you know marathi and punjabi and mm-hmm. then i kind of created these letters which were animistic so like all the letters that are used in the moro language uh are derived from plant shapes or animal shapes right so like there's a lizard shape there there is a person there there is a house there like stuff like that because the the, the these people live in the forest and stuff mm-hmm. so like i kind of created that and i basically hand letter it every issue so depends on how much time i have essentially nice. yeah so that that's how that's how that works um i was, I was actually not... i'm Uh, so that was the one time I was asked to do it. Sorry, uh, that was the one time I was asked to do it. But these savages nobody asked me to do it. I just decided to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, gonna, I was off the back of that. I think that's quite. It's. I think it's an interesting thing with uh, lettering and font choices, which which is like a good mirror for uh, thinking about comics, like on a formal analysis way. Because essentially, what you're doing with a font is you're presenting. It appears to just be a method of presenting some information. but the information right. purely being the text right like the simplest way to think about lettering is like a clear way to present what characters are saying or what someone's thinking or whatever but also the font choice uh is a graphic choice which also yeah. carries uh some kind of narrative weight you know e- even if that narrative weight is um uh like clean right yeah. or or that narrative weight might be a wavy monster a wavy kind of dialogue font for a monster might be uh you'll you'll see that and it it'll give you a different response emotional response than just a clean straight up like dialogue uh, font like like daily departed has like it's kind of like almost like a ghosty um a ghosty right, letter yeah. form right compared yeah. to the, compared to ready for anything which is a very very clean um reminds me of like super like reminds me of like kind of like clean superhero comics um yeah. and so th- those things even if you're not kind of tuned into the specifics of that like that example of clean superhero comics you look at daily departed and you'll understand something different than if that text was rendered in ready for anything yeah and so, absolutely and so yeah and so that that for me is like it's almost like the formal analysis of the comics like on the surface it's just it's just it's just giving you the information in a way that um isn't necessarily drawing attention to itself but when you look at that a little bit deeper you can see that there's something else at work there and that's the thing that i find interesting is like why choose that because what are you trying to say to me with that choice right And so, yeah. Daily Departed makes sense in the context of a ghost, or you know, just the, an obvious example of a ghost. Uh, you can use the Daily Blambots uh, Daily Departed font, and it will give a ghostly effect. It will, ooh, spook a slightly spookier dialogue. But if you yeah. rendered that same dialogue in Ready for Anything, you're still getting the information, right? You're still you're still learning what that that character is is, is specifically saying. But you're not. There's you're you're missing something if it's being used yeah. for a ghost or some whatever, whatever that sort of thing. And so I think it's that for me is the formal analysis of comics. It's like you can read the comic, and you'll get everything. But there is a there is a way that that thing is being delivered to you in subtle, hidden, mysterious ways. And like that's the thing that I find so exciting about about storytelling. 
That's nice. Um, yeah, like, so I had a, I had a question. Like that's that's good. That's a good way to think about it. Uh, but I didn't mean to be dismissive. No, no, that's that's exactly everyone's reaction when I get excited about nice. comics. Oh, okay, that's good. Good for you. Good for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, okay. Um, there's been some kind of conversations happening about critics and like things like that on Twitter recently. You kind of fall somewhere between that. Like you are a critic. You're not a like you. You don't necessarily do academic analysis. You do formal analysis, um, and you're also a creator, right? So well, like, where do you see yourself with this particular thing that you do? Like <laughs> let, let, let's call it let, let's call it two aspects of your career. Like one is SPN and PHP, and right. the other is lettering. So right. like the SPN and PHP part. Like where do you see that putting you in the industry? Uh, so you're asking me, like, am I? Are you sort of. Who are you doing this for? Oh, for, for myself. <laughs> no, but, but like, who's, who's your demogra- demographic? I mean, who are you directing this towards? And um, again, like, what, what do you feel this adds to the industry? Like, that's... Oh, that's to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. You do it for it's, your own amusement. It's just empty air. No, um, I don't know. Like, I mean. I always find it really like genuine, genuinely like fulfilling when uh, I, I like to, like gen, like genuinely I do it for myself because I find this stuff interesting. Um, okay. And but I it's also it's always nice to get like an email from someone saying that like Strip Pile Naked has uh, helped them uh, with like with their own work. Like they've used they've they've kind of watched episodes and they they've thought differently about their own work, which is maybe too much responsibility for someone to have. But um, I always find that re- that's kind of that's kind of nice to think that that, that, that other people ha- are also interested in the same thing and kind of see see some value in in, in yeah. work. But I think I don't I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily to put yourself as the audience primarily, <laughs> uh, especially when you, you know it's something like comics, as, something as niche as comics, where there isn't a ton of money. And if I if I wasn't doing it to entertain myself, I think I'd find it much more difficult to to keep it going. Like I've been doing this for nearly four years now, Strip Pile Naked. Um, and I don't think I, I don't think it would have lasted that long if I if I if it if it wasn't if I wasn't making it to to satisfy my own curiosity and my own right. my own kind of interest. Um, so for myself, but I I I would like to think, and I've you know you know people contacted me, so I'd I'd like to think that there is a value in in it for people that are kind of interested in in, in making comics or or just learn, learning more about how comics work for whatever reason. Right. I think uh, uh, comics creators are, well, not not even, okay, wait, let me rephrase that. Um, I think comics is one of those places where the um, a lot of creators started out as dedicated readers who right. were already interested in the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and Western comics especially, like not European comics necessarily, but manga and American comics, Mm-hmm. Kind of lended lended themselves to like um, formal presentation tricks. Like right. um, as a reader, even you will notice certain things in American comics that you wouldn't necessarily notice in European comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that becomes like see when when creators gather at a con, we a lot of our conversation is about these tricks, like uh, about like did you see what this person did in that comic? Right. Like that's a yeah. lot of our conversation all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. we are generally speaking interested in this anyway. 
Um, yeah. And like you, you see somebody like Matt Fraction, like in November, he's clearly trying to like, okay, that's a 20, 2019, 2020 Matt Fraction who's interested in specific things that he's mm-hmm. trying in a formal uh, setting. Yeah. Right. So I think comics is kind of like somehow uniquely, um, like there's that particular permeability of everyone being interested in this thing. Right. Um, right. Like a film, like I don't think like even fairly. Um, Analytical film viewers will talk about the content rather than the form uh, most of the time. Same yeah. with prose. Like prose, most people actually don't talk about the form at all. They mostly talk about content and themes and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah. the what and the why rather than the how. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. comics, like everybody wants to know about the how. And I think I, I, I think there is. Well, I think there is. This is like a thing that comes up with 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 comics criticism uh, a lot as well. Is is the idea of uh there's there's literary there's almost like literary analysis right uh yeah. and uh, and then there's kind of like visual analysis and the right. visual analysis is the thing that i i it's not i don't think it's necessarily more difficult it's just the thing that less people are trained in my mm-hmm. one of my favorite documentaries is um a peter greenaway film um called rembrandt's jacques uh to do a, a french accent and the, the opening of that film, it's essentially, all that film is is essentially like a really, like a much better strip panel naked about a single painting. Uh, and it's Greenaway like analyzing what's actually happening in this painting. Like what, what story are we seeing and how is that being presented? And it's right. over, you know, it's like two, two hours or something. It's, it's incredible. And the <laughs> thing, the, it's really, really good. And the thing he mentions at the start of that is they talk about how we, you know, imagine that you walk around an art gallery as, as the example that they use. And what we do is we'll we'll read the, the, the little box, right? And we'll learn a lot from the box. And then we'll look at the picture and we'll take it in and we'll move on. Now, if you, yeah. if you imagine uh, reading a book, you'll read the book and then maybe you'll start a book club and you'll talk about the themes and the, and the character arcs and stuff. But you'll walk around the art gallery and you'll look at the painting and you'll think, oh, that's kind of cool. Or, yeah, I, that's connecting with me, but, I'm, you know, it's cool. And then you'll move on. And it's because we don't... We aren't taught to read pictures in the same way we're taught to read words because we're su- a picture is supposed to present itself pretty pretty factually. Like you, like look at a picture of a cat, it's a picture of a cat, right? But if you read a, a seventeen page deconstruction of the details of a cat, you might think there's more in those seventeen pages description, the, the seventeen page description of a cat, than there is in the picture of the cat, even though it's sort of the same thing. And yeah. so when we're not taught to read uh, to read imagery as effectively as, as we are taught to read text and i think that's probably the big thing when it comes to comics is it's very easy to to uh, read a comic on a literary analysis way and look at the character arc and look at the storyline and look at that sort of thing and less so on the uh, the visual presentation and what we and what we are being told in the image um, right. and that is just that and like you know not and not putting myself above anyone else or anything um i don't have that either really i just have that from a film side that i'm trying to bring across to, to comics um yeah. and it's something that you're taught much more specifically in film because film like comics is a visual medium um and so i, I think that's the thing you always see like comic artists or whatever on twitter like kind of thinking like well th- you know th- everyone always mentions the writing but never the art and, and it's it's not a it's not as simple as that but b if you want to make that point i think you have to accept that as a whole society we are not trained to read imagery in the same way we're trying to read text and the problem is not with comics or comics criticism or anything like that the problem is with how we are how we are treated how we tend to treat visuals versus text right yeah, actually I, that ties into the latest question that we have uh here uh emil kajera asks 
do comic creators and critics limit ourselves at all by using the language of film to analyze comics alan more touched on this a bit in writing for comics uh firstly i think yes definitely we do limit ourselves by thinking about those uh, them like that we use the word frame we use the word camera a lot and i'm trying to like in my own writing i'm trying to kind of get away from that mm-hmm. um but part, like i think the flaw here almost is that um comics are written by a writer to communicate something to an artist right. so we kind of get used to thinking about like we we are not the ones like let's say i'm a writer we are not the ones who are drawing it so we yeah. kind of don't necessarily have a language for how it kind of ends up on the page we are yeah. trying to communicate it in the language that we understand it tends to be mm-hmm. like a shot of a film um manga has a much more interesting way of doing this like they will create something that's called a name which is basically like a storyboard version of the manga the thumbnail so to speak but mm-hmm. the thumbnail is the thing that gets created first and yeah. then you do a script and then you draw the comic so mm-hmm. like you have the the imagery is the primary way of looking at the comic rather than the right. text yeah and i think that's kind of part of the problem that uh, we are looking at a comic as something that is text that gets converted into a visual medium rather right. than something that begins and ends in visual medium so yeah yeah but i think we should definitely move away from that language um, but also like i mean alan moore for example himself stole a couple of tricks from peter greenaway and nicholas rogue and that kind of yeah. uh, translated beautifully into comics in a way that maybe <laughs> they don't even translate in movies that well yeah um, but i think uh, yeah sorry go on as i say so as i say the 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 thing that's interesting and 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 where it comes from film like you talked about that you know you have the script and then someone else gets that sends something else and there's all which brings up that that thing again that you always see people try try trying to figure decipher is like who does what like what is the what's the the film equivalent of the comic writer is it is it the screenwriter or is it the screenwriter and the director what's the film equivalent of the comic book artist and that's the that is kind of the problem is that if you want to look at that from a you know a screenwriter in film is is doing a very specific job that is wildly different than a, than a comic book writer and to to put a comic book writer on the same level as a screenwriter is to say that essentially they have they would have almost no artistic control over the finished product and they have right. a lot of artistic control over the finished product especially in in a in a in a bigger publisher where you might not be having a com- like a big conversation you might just have to deliver a script to an artist that then that then creates the draws the draws the pages um so we we have to we do i think we do you're right we do have to kind of get away from trying to constantly compare film to comics however and i because i do it a lot like I, you know because my background is film so yeah. uh, i do but i what i do think it offers is a, is is a good shorthand for explaining certain things um so I, I think but, but by like doing that we also permeate the well no it's the point is by doing that we also permeate that connection which which shouldn't it, 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 I understand the connection because it's another visual medium that uh, that combines two two formalistic elements of audio and, and visuals and, and text and visuals. But comparing again, comparing audio and text is again wildly different, and the, the, the comparison between those two things is, is would be in, in any other medium insane. And yet yeah. we constantly compare dialogue in comics to the style of dialogue in, in in film. Again, wildly different. So we, I, I agree, we definitely should get away with it. but it does make it easier to communicate quite difficult things. Yeah, I I think there's a uh, sort of there's a sort of bigger reason for that as well that the way comics are created is that the writer writes a script and then essentially sees the final artwork when it's done. Right. Like so 
uh, in creator own comics for example i think this can be fairly safely abandoned because um like you can write a script that doesn't have any of that you can write a script that is basically simply telling the artist what happens and yeah. then once the thumbnails are being created or like you can get on get on the phone with the artist and kind of convey what you want or like the thumbnails come back and then you kind of do the uh, that part of the like the problem reason that you have camera directions in a script is that the writer is probably not going to see anything till the final art comes back so they want yeah. to communicate what they want to see in as full like a detail as they can mm -hmm. uh, like what you just talked about like uh, the screenplay writer thing a writer in comics is basically like a screenplay writer plus a co-director and yeah, if those yeah. two functions could be separated that i think would make uh, the creation a little superior because mm -hmm. then essentially you would have i give you like you're my artist i give you what i want to see in the comic and then you bring it back with your own point of view and then together we sit down and figure out what best communicates the story yeah. right so we could be doing that but the problem thing is that it's more expedient to basically just like write a full script and then just okay you do your job and then you know we i'll just do the dialogue um so yeah. that for that again you need those stage directions you need to see that or oh, the camera moves closer in or like mm -hmm. we have a dutch angle here or something like that mm -hmm. you know all of those things are like being said because uh, the writer doesn't get to contribute in the image yeah if they did then yeah, yeah. we'd probably have it happening differently yeah yeah and it's it, like there's it always feels like there's 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 different processes that could take place that would that would no i don't necessarily be easier but but might lend it themselves to creating a a more a more cohesive dynamic you'll you'll find it much more on on indie books where people are just kind of you know the emails are just between the people making the book as opposed right. to an editor or whatever but also Action. sorry i was just to say but, but but like also that that makes it much more difficult it makes it much more difficult to put a book out on time like the amount of image books that we have seen that that don't hit a schedule or or stop for a long period of time before coming back for a long period. You know what I mean? Like we've seen that. Whereas the books that I've got an editor that maybe the, the, the potentially the artist and writer aren't as aren't as going back and forth as much uh, come out <laughs> yeah. every month. And, no, and sometimes sad. sometimes that's what you need. Um, it, it, there's a, there's a there's a question here that off the back of that, which is. Uh, yeah. As letterers, is there a unique advantage to being brought in later, as the writing and art have already developed together and is now visible when the letter begins the impact uh, to impact the scene? That's not always the case. I, I would I would say it's the opposite of anything. There's a unique mm. advantage to being brought in early rather than later. Well, as I say, as, it's not, it's not always the case that we that we do get brought yeah. in. Last. Yeah, actually, actually, yeah, like, that's true. Like with most of our like most frequent collaborators we are already in place like we know that mm. we are going to be on the book um like somebody I, i don't remember who fairly recently somebody asked me like um what do you feel is unique about uh my collaboration with a particular person um that i think like they felt that it worked quite well and the mm -hmm. answer was that i get to see the thumbnails <laughs> right that, that was it like literally i get to see all the thumbnails and i can say that okay i don't have enough space there i need enough space there or like mm -hmm. I'll, i i can sort of start cooking up a style early on like i have more time to kind of think of style while the thumbnails are being shown mm -hmm. to me because i know that okay this character is going to turn into this other character and like it's going to be like i'm i'm going to need to do something interesting there so it's yeah. just it's that that's an that's an incredible advantage to just see the comic as it's being formed 
and there are certain comments in which i get to dictate certain things like i get to say that no i don't want to do it this way let's do it this other way mm-hmm. um so that i get to kind of do an interesting thing here mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think i think the the earlier you can you can bring it to so it, i think what it comes down to is like in terms of what you want your team to do and how and where do you value their contributions i'm not saying that if you bring a letter in last you don't value their contributions but what i mean is is that you can therefore use that earlier so i uh, like because I've, i've seen uh cases where so like for example like lettering a book where i've seen the artists kind of make decisions because i've seen their their thumbnails where they'll put the letter again and i've seen that they have started to react to what i've done in like the first issue um you know by like issue 3 4 whatever and you can see that in the thumbnails they've like copied some of the balloon styles almost from like the earlier issues that weren't in the in their original thumbnails and so you yeah. can see them going like okay well you know what i kind of want him to do this now and so you wouldn't have had that conversation had you know i mean that's an extreme case where we're talking issues down the line but that could have been something that you have earlier and you can have that conversation and you can have that reaction to each other's work because this is the weird thing about comics again is that it's not like film where you're all working to produce an image what you're doing is you're producing layers of an image that then get kind of almost almost built upon top of each other that yeah. you know you have pencils and then the, the ink come or if it's the same art I see the line work and then the colors are going to come on top of a, an already finished piece of work and the letters are, are, in most cases going to come on top of an already finished piece of work film isn't like that right everyone's department of lighting uh, costume actors whatever are all coming together before the image is captured and you're capturing it as a as a total image you got to grade it and do do effects or whatever afterwards but everyone is coming together to at, at that same stage comics is comics is not that we're all working separately and then kind of building layers on top of each other's work and so in that case it's 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 beneficial to see what those layers are going to be as early as possible i think uh yeah absolutely like this is one thing that uh, hand lettering used to have which is that uh, hand lettering was generally done over pencils after mm-hmm. which uh, the book was inked um yeah. so like the letter could essentially dictate part of the image and that's something that i'm sort of trying to get some of my teams to do where they let me letter over letter only the sound effects over black and white um mm-hmm. because because you'll see i i think this this comes up in another episode though uh, but like um you'll see a lot of artists doing drone special effects these days because they get to control the image and the, the fact is that there are times when a letter could have done that it's just that they need to get that page before the coloring is done mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. uh the in the comics that i'm writing i'm definitely going to do that but also in the comics that i'm currently working on i'm trying to get those teams to work that way where i can essentially scroll over their image and the colorist can then react to that right right because that create, that creates a more interesting layer like the stacking as you are saying like the layers on top uh mm-hmm. that lets the lettering kind of permeate a couple of layers rather than just right. thing on top yep. and that creates a more interesting image mm-hmm. to 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 round that off against the um this 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 topic of formal analysis i don't think again that that's something you get to um if you aren't thinking about how comics are formed how comics are made because yeah. if you're just if you're just seeing your job as like i just come at the end i you know i i paste the balloons on uh, and i get out of there then you're not going to think uh and you're not analyzing the work you're not analyzing the techniques that you're doing you're not thinking about like like what you said about how integrated the sound effects look when when even so even in the case of like you and I hand drawing sound effects right yeah um we're still what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to copy 
work that has been done before. And especially, it's, it's especially difficult, I think. It's much easier for me to, to, to see the, uh, the, the quality of a, of a line and find the brush that matches that than it is for me to find the quality of the colors Color, and, yeah, and, and render the, the, sound, the sound, yeah. And so if you can get, uh, and, you're, and that's something that you, that you maybe you, you're not seeing if you're not thinking about comics formally. And yeah. um, you're not thinking about that, that kind of aspect of it. You're just seeing like, well, that, that sound effect is what a sound effect should look like based on other comics I've read or whatever, until you see something else. Um, and you look at you look at you look at like someone else's hand drawn sound effect that they've done themselves and they color themselves and you think that's incredible. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want to get to. No, and uh, like I'm actually getting to do this on one of my books. Like I don't know if I can talk about it, but there's a particular <laughs> book which has like this double page spread, which is kind of like an image of a city and the mm -hmm. writer basically sent it to me in black and white and said that okay here's a city this is the text figure out where you can put it and just like put all of it right. so i got to do like sort of announcements neon signs then graffiti on like uh, a whole city thing and yeah. the thing is i got to do it all in black and white so yeah. that the colorist can then make certain things recede and then certain things pop, certain things shine like glow, which I can't do in Illustrator. Like that's not a thing mm -hmm. I can even mm -hmm. manage. So the colorist gets to still control um, the overall effect of the image. And mm -hmm. I've given them everything they need. And that's yeah. going to create, like, I, I know that it's going to look incredibly cool because I, yeah. it's not going to look all wasted on because I got to like enter the image and kind of like work with that. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's the thing that, um, and lettered comics used to have, which we don't now. But we can. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an option. It's just, um, it's just like what your priorities are. Yeah. Um, well, it's, 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 and it's like so. The amount of times that we have to letter over inks in in uh, for, you know when we're working with a with a with a publisher um, is routine at this stage, right? A lot of the time we're working over inks, um, and that which which raises a whole bunch of other questions anyway. But it. There was a chance I got when I similar 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 uh, uh, example where I was doing the I, was, I had these inks for this graphic novel, a hundred page or whatever it was, and I was like, "Have you got a colorist for this yet?" And they said, "No," and I was like, "Right, I, I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to do the sound effects in this book, and I'm going to send you uh, flattened uh, art files with my lettering baked into the art file." Yeah, exactly. is that a pro is that a problem? And at that point, it's not a problem because for the Colors is no different. The colors, what yeah. it meant was that when the and when the pages came back, the colorist because it's kind of like a vintagey war book, and so the, when the color the colors the color uh, colors had come back and they have a gradient, uh, not a gradient, sorry, uh, a, a a a layer with um, uh, color holds. Color holds. Uh, yeah, like so. There's color holds and there's a texture. That's the word for some reason. I right. And there's a and there's a texture across the colors. And now hmm. textures are everywhere in coloring now in comics, and because they look cool and they take away the digital nature of things. And the problem is, the moment you slap a, a, a Illustrator block or gradient sound effect over a textured page, it stands it out immediately. Yeah. yeah. And so it's nice to see. It's nice to see uh, the, that that advantage. It's nice. To, it's nice to be able to send this thing and then see it come back and it have it even even something as simple as having the texture over the letters, which is, which in theory we would consider part of the art more so than balloons in a sense. Yeah. Right. 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 It's, not, it's nice to see that. Yeah, and, and see that that's the thing that I've seen when artists do their own sound effects and then they get colored, you see that they look a lot more interesting and they kind of like tie in with the artwork a lot better. And mm -hmm. that is exactly why those artists are doing that. Yeah. Uh, even in like DC and Marvel comics these days. So yeah. so yeah, like I think 
yeah, I think that should be more of a thing. Like, if, if we can change the industry in that particular way, uh, please give us black and white artwork to do sound effects on. And, and nice. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to round off this topic and then we'll, we'll, we'll get to a couple of questions. But yeah. the way to round this topic off, because we've sort of gone a little bit all over the place with this, which is nice <laughs> because it all leads back to the same point, which is I don't think we would be having this conversation. I don't think we would be thinking this way about our own individual personal work as letterers if we also weren't thinking about like the formal elements of the craft and right. and the way the thing works on the page like i don't we wouldn't be talking about page textures and sound effects and stuff like that if we weren't also kind of interested in the way that the medium works as a storytelling device um, Absolutely. so i think I, I i personally find the stuff that i do as a critic uh on strip file making panel by panel incredibly valuable like super valuable to the to my lettering work and i don't i don't really see them as two separate things like i mm. like to me they they work in, in in cohesion the lettering has really has really aided my 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 critical side and the critical side has really really aided my lettering side and i don't i you know when, sometimes when people refer to people having like different roles and different jobs and, and stuff like that then like I, I don't think i don't see them as two separate things i, I truly see them as as the same they're all they're all in the same the, the same banner the same balloon like that is the same work to me just just yeah. kind of coming out in different ways no, I, I i do agree with you because uh, uh like my current work in hellblazer for example is directly a result of the article that i wrote about tom ozikowski for panel Expert. right right because that's where i was like this guy was doing so many things that nobody does now mm -hmm. and i'm gonna try and do like some of these things at least and yep. at, like to my delight, like at least a couple of people like looked at that lettering and said, "That lot looks like Ozikowski." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did, yeah. did, did, did Tom see it himself and say that this, um, guy, this guy's just doing me? I wonder if he would say that. <laughs> I haven't shown it. Yeah. No, I, I, but I, I, he likes my work. That's good enough. No, well, I have the same thing. Like uh, your, especially your article. Like, your articles were really, really cool, and you did the series and panel by panel, um, yeah. looking at like historically fantastic letters and, and current letters, and that's uh, the same same thing. Like I did, I, I did a thing for uh, Doug Woke's. Um, I never know how to pronounce Doug's surname. Walk W L W O L K. What we'll go with Walk. Um, his 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 uh, sort of daily Marvel and limited reading thing, looking at letters, and that was just also a great excuse to like go back and just think like, well, what are these people doing that you mm. that you that you kind of almost could, you don't see today because of the way that the medium has changed in terms of like the yeah. form of comic lettering, and then also look at like stuff like Tom Orza's hand lettering stuff in X Men, and then when he did like early digital stuff, and then also look at some of Todd Klein's early digital stuff compared to. Uh, his 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 hand lettering stuff, and it's interesting. Like, and I learned so much just from that little bit of just looking, look like going through some of their work in Marvel Limited, and being like, yeah. why? What is different today? To today, what does that mean? And what what is that trying to communicate? And that, like, I think that. So to to wrap up this point, to wrap up this topic, I would say that the the, the formal analysis aspect of comics is incredibly useful i think if you want to tell stories in this medium right. um, regardless of the level of you know regardless of, of of your of your path of letterer or inker or pencil or whatever i think having an understanding of how comics fundamentally work and what you can do to manipulate that is incredibly useful to allow you to think kind of critically and constructively about the work that you do on the page oh absolutely i think uh, i'd just like to give one more example of this mm -hmm. um the colorist Jose Villarubia, who like works a lot with Alan Moore and stuff, he's been posting a bunch of uh, Facebook posts about recolored artworks. So he's talking right. about um, old books that have been recolored. Like we think of those as the 
colors were restored but right. they are actually recolored like he talks about the process of doing it he talks about the reasons for doing it certain ways and he talks mm-hmm. about what exactly we are losing by kind of doing that and i am obsessed with that right now because that's kind of going to help me out a lot when i'm like i'm when i'm uh, creating comics i'm mm-hmm. going to look at colors in that kind of complex way because an entire mode of coloring has kind of been lost uh, and kind of supplanted by naturalistic coloring these days right. but mm-hmm. the thing is we used to have a lot of expressionistic coloring which was like uh, like used to have weird colors on a panel to convey the emotional state rather than the literal state right right and right that's something that i mean we could still use that there's nothing wrong with that those things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all you need to know is that how 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 we could do those now and keep that like make them effective um and yeah and the analysis is like pretty instrumental in that yeah i think that's a good i think we've summed that up quite nicely yeah once again we solved yeah. <laughs> well we've we've got like a whole bunch of um a whole bunch of questions uh so yeah. uh here's my question time banner which i uh, have done a capital i on time um <laughs> so there we go there's my question so this is a bit different than the normal uh, episodes of the show um we don't tend to have a question time at the end but we've got a few questions that we haven't got to if that like from before the show started and we also got a couple of questions in the comments so if you have a question for us that you want us to answer in the next few minutes throw us a question in the comments we'll get to it um we did have one from uh comical foods on twitter which is christian who asked this before the, the podcast he said do you have any lettering tips or tricks for distinguishing different narrators? Now we had a question earlier about like different voices, but this is a very specific question, which is yeah. I, I presume we're thinking in terms of like narration captions. How do you differentiate between two narrators? Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, uh, I think the basic way of doing it is what uh, BC kind of does these days is to kind of have the character logo behind the uh, caption and basically right. color them differently so mm-hmm. the coloring differently is something that you can implement pretty easily um also i think this is something where involving a letterer early makes a lot of sense because that's something that should not be sprung on a letterer in issue 3 or issue 4 right? right that should be like a thing that okay here's what i'm something i'm going to try and do um mm-hmm. now uh, i think what you can think of is uh, like what's the flavor of the caption like different narrators will have different flavors mm-hmm. and you can use that to guide your voice um so mm-hmm. like one thing will be spoken which is like let's say let's say it's, it's almost like somebody's talking to somebody else that could look one way uh, another one could look like somebody's writing in a diary or like a journal or a letter or an email mm-hmm. um for example there is a there's a book that i'm working on right now where the captions are like the person is talking but we've decided to render them in a journalistic kind of typewritten style mm-hmm. because it conveys a particular flavor right so this is all about i think flavor like and you need to plan those early on like uh, right. these type of shows for example uh, well they're letters like they're literal letters that people are writing it's an epistolary mm-hmm. i think but they do function as a narration right um and all of those are like look like different kinds of letters so like for every character i was like this is an upper class like he this is an aristocrat right so right. he will write in this particular flowy style mm-hmm. uh then this other person is a working class person so they would have like a much more uh, basic kind of like separated kind of style then mm-hmm. as i mentioned bichan has like an ancient influence style we actually had an issue with one of the narrators that 
uh, Ram in issue one told me that this is only going to be like the single caption that this character has. Right. And then in issue four, the character actually came back and like we had more captions. And we had to create <laughs> a whole new style because like the original style was almost unreadable, except right. it was just supposed to be for one caption. So mm-hmm. it was fine. Right. But then I had to create a whole new style, which still harkened back to the original one. Because mm-hmm. while we were changing styles, we were like, mm, let's let's not make them notice. Right. <laughs> so it's that kind of thing. This, this is how you think about these things. Like, any more thoughts that yeah. you have? Well, it, it it falls, but it kind of falls back into like the previous question uh, about the the formal analysis stuff and like the reason as to why this thing is being used to do what effect. Um, like the the, the base, the, I mean, the basic way to to like use like you were saying, the basic way to differentiate between the rays is just do a different colored caption box, and then you can say, well, you know, this person's green or whatever, this person's blue. Um, like we did something with um, no one's rose, where we have these two characters, a brother and sister, and the 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 the, the note in the script was. That they wanted the captions, their, their their kind of narration thought captions, to battle with each other, right? At some point, um, nice. and to to kind of almost fight with each other. And so, to me, the cleanest way for me to figure that out was I didn't want to do anything that that made them like uh, too stylistically different. I think they had to still they had to functionally and visually work in the same way. Otherwise, you were then fighting a graphic change constantly. If you're kind of putting them against each other, you're kind of fighting a graphic change. Um, and so we went through, so I was like, the simplest, well, let's just do it simple. Let's let's just have a colored box. But then it was a case of figuring out, okay, so what what colors can we can we use and mm-hmm. how do we how do we make this interesting? And so the the also the nice thing for that was then we, oh, I thought, well, we can have black text and white text. Um right. and so if we do we, and we do black text and white text, differential, but then also what can we do for the colors? And there's a whole thing about like the um, the kind of the way that they see the world and the way that they see nature versus the city and technology, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, right. well, let's get let's get colors that work for those. Um, and so it, at that point, it's about creating something that's similar enough for you to almost do a spot the difference against the the colors and the and the and the, the font color. So I want it to be the same to the point where you're like, well, this is the same. Like I'm not I'm not I'm not reading a torn caption versus a digital constantly or whatever. But I'm but I'm but what is the difference and why is there a difference between the black and white font? Why, why is there a difference between this color and this color? Does this mean anything? And for someone looking into that, they'll they'll they'll, they'll hopefully they'll they'll get something out of it. Um, but it should still have an impact graphically on the on the way that they do that. So yeah, uh, there are, I mean there are there are a, a million different ways that you can do that to distinguish narrators. But again, it comes down to the last question. What you what what is what do you want them to why do you want them to be different beyond a simple case of understanding who's speaking? Like, is there anything else you want to say about the character? Is there anything yeah. else you want to say about about how they speak, about about the way they they interact with the world or whatever? And that'll find your answer. And that's why it's good yeah. to have a conversation with a letterer and you say to the letterer, not just you know, character A caption blah blah, blah character B caption in the script, but like. You want to say to your letter, like, I want this character, this character is like this. I want them to be like this. I want the readers to understand something through that caption. Like, what can we do? Like, what can we figure yeah. out? Um, and it's nice then to get, you kind of, you're, you're working with someone who's presumably got a ton of experience about doing that and they can have that conversation and figure that out. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we've answered that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a question here from Rick. I'm going to throw it on the screen. Uh, here we go. He says, I'm curious about your thoughts. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the position and form of sound effects and how these qualities can be used to imply other sounds in the scene that aren't actually shown. That's what I guess. That's I, yeah, second part uh, of the question is interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think 
I think the important thing is here that uh, like a lot of uh, writers will simply write what the sound effect is rather mm-hmm. than tell you what's actually making that sound. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. So like that's that's quite important. So like that lets you like kind of create flavor um, mm-hmm. of the sound, and I think that's basically it. Like um, one one thing I'll notice in people who are writing comics for the first time is that they put sound effects for everything. Right. Um, it's almost like a sound designer in a movie that is like literally giving a sound to everything. Like mm-hmm. It's just you don't you don't need that. Like that's that's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, it's all a storytelling thing. I, I don't think there can be like one rule for this. It's just what feels right in every instance and what you're trying to do with every instance. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I'm I'm sure like let's let's say you have a character sitting in a cell with a dripping tap. Right. I would very certainly like use that dripping tap constantly, even if it's not appearing, right. to kind of show the mind, the state of mind of like this person is steadily getting more annoyed by that mm-hmm. that sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you didn't have that sound kind of permeating through all the panels, you would not be able to get to that that part. Right. So it's it's that kind of thing. But what is the purpose? Of, um, yeah. That? I feel yeah. like that's I feel like that's how we're going to answer all the questions. Is what 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 are you trying to what you trying to do like what what you trying to do and then but that's but it does come down to that it comes down to what's the, uh, what's they, the story they say in India what is purpose what's that what is the what's the purpose oh what's the purpose sorry yeah exactly like what's what you trying to get get from this thing will answer most of those questions yeah um here's one on the on the more, on the more business side um mm. which is what effect if any did the shutdown of mainstream American comics have on how you felt about comics. Do you want to answer that first? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't think it changed. Like, if I, if I'm maybe being too literal with with like with the question, I don't think it really changed much. It it, it may it, it does make you think a little bit different about the industry, and it reminds you that in the sort of direct market sense of sense of comics, how much is tied to one um, uh, supplier of com- one distributor of comics. Yeah. Um, it did. It did. Uh, it did. I guess it reveals. It reveals like kind of what people, what publishers' thoughts are on 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 distribution methods too. But I, we, I think we had this conversation, me and you, like outside of the podcast. And the big thing we talked about was that can comics move away from the direct market, single issue thing? Mm-hmm. Can they move? Can they move to a different, uh, maybe, maybe potentially more robust um, yeah. uh, uh, method? And you know, I know, I know a whole ton of people. I mean, most of my people that most of my friends that aren't like comic comic friends that read comics don't read single issues they read they read trades they just wait for the trades to come out and they're yeah. happy to wait like i've got a friend so do that, I. like i mean i live in india i can't i can't find a single issue yeah right yeah and you're happy you're, but you're also happy to wait for that and so i think there's there's there is, there is an, there's a re-examination of, of of the of the distribution of comics that could that could be looked at um yeah but I, but but i mean you know it, it it has not felt like a long time I, you and i have both still been working on stuff the whole, Absolutely, yeah. the whole process of lockdown um, um, and those yeah. books are going to come out in June so in theory it's going to carry on probably not too different I don't know if we're going to learn anything from it uh, it seems like it'll just kind of carry on see I, I think one thing I hope is that um, this is something that a lot of people from outside comics asked me like why right. aren't digital comics bigger and yeah, yeah, then, I, yeah. I, then I have to explain to them that digital comics are actually the biggest thing in the world it's just not the industry that I work in. Like Line Webtoon and like Web mm-hmm. Comics are some of the biggest comics ever. Yeah. Except our industry doesn't seem to touch those at all. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one thing I do hope is that our industry, like I, I think, I mean, it's it's very complex why this thing exists, but it does puzzle me as a relative outsider why digital comics are not a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like apart from the format limitations, I'm not going to say that like this, like the rectangular format doesn't necessarily translate very well to the screen. But mm-hmm. nothing is telling you that it has to be that that way. Like a comic is just like it's just multiple images. It's not doesn't have to be like formatted by like six point eight seven five by ten point four three seven five inches. Like yeah. that's not that's not really a thing. So one thing I would like to see is that. given that we are one of the few mediums where everything from the creation to the publication can happen entirely digitally mm-hmm. um we see a bigger component uh like digital component to comics and i don't necessarily mean comicsology here like i don't right. necessarily mean that you make the same comics and just publish them Um, digitally, that's 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 the conversation that's currently going on between creators and publishers and retailers, and that's not the conversation that I'm interested in. I'm saying that as creators, like something like Quarantine Comics or Palin Panel Syndicate, that is what I'm far more interested in yeah. uh, going forward. Like I would love to be working on comics that are entirely intended to be digital consumption. And we 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 talked about this briefly, right? About like the idea of. Why publishers not being on on webtoon? Yeah, like web comics, exactly. Like why why is there not a continually running web comic of like Spider Man, Superman, mm. Batman, like all yeah. the big people, like free to read? It's just like it, it's weird to me. Like why would you not have? Like that's just yeah. I don't understand. And, and I'm not blaming any particular publisher for it. Like they might have their reasons, but I think that even considered as a loss leader. it would be valuable like you don't like you're producing what like let's let's say let's say you produce like half a page at a time right and you mm-hmm. do that five days a week that's two and a half pages a week mm-hmm. i'm sure you could pay for that for like a long running thing that people are addicted to and yeah. if it doesn't work you just stop and you could uh, publish it in print mm-hmm. um it's, i mean it's, that, that's, I, that's I nothing to do with pandemic even But, but I also think the the, the audience you know the, the webtoon stats if they are to be, be believed Uh, are unbelievable. It's something like 16 million unique visits every single day, right? So you've got you've got 16 million people. Uh, argue your audience is maybe slightly bigger than that, right? Because it's not going to be the same 16 every single day. But you've got you've got an audience in the range of 16 to whatever 20 million, and there is a it's going to be a huge section of that audience that is not a your direct market. Uh, what's they what are they call Wednesday warriors? It's not your That's not your right. Wednesday warrior direct market comic book reader. But there's something else, and they are entirely because of that. They're entirely sectioned off from what you're doing over here in your direct market pool, right? So you've yeah. got your direct market, and you've got your, this giant, this giant webtoon uh, uh, space, and this uh, just seems strange. It seems strange to me to, that you don't want to just throw something over there for for a, a few months or a year, and just say like, "Are we? Can we reel anyone in that goes yeah. from this market and bring them across into this one, and see if we can't make this one more stable, or or even it might highlight or illuminate something about the process." That's happening now. That is is ineffective, or could be more effective. Some like you know, using a certain different way. We we've yeah. seen we've seen web like when we tweet. You you and I both tweet about this about the same time because you mentioned it to me. Um, and both there was replies to both of those from people talking about a kind of digital comic that like, like you know, like Batman sixty six I think was digital, but it was just like a comicsology yeah. release or whatever. And it's exactly. like that's not yeah. that's not the format. That's that's just no no. Uh, it needs to know, be like. 
it needs to be something that somebody can get at it needs to be xkcd style like you go to xkcd.com <laughs> that's all you need to do um right. and like uh, uh like line for example i think actually the reason line webtoon is big is the fundamental reason why i'm not interested in it because there is there is a formal fluidity to it that is just like it kind of gives you nothing to work with as a creator mm-hmm. but if you just want to tell stories it's fucking brilliant it's just like you just keep scrolling that's it that's all you need to do and it, and that's why readers love it because you open line up to and you just open the next chapter and you just read through it yeah that's it it's it's a, as seamless experience as like pressing play on youtube or something yeah 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 right and that's kind of why it's i think become so big and plus it's it's where you get everything it's just like you look for a comic you look at the latest chapter just go yeah that needs to be a thing uh, yeah as you say like i think maybe there should be batman superman spiderman wonder woman nightwing given the but and the thing like, is it's, it's, like it's, that. you know are you going to lose if if someone's buying the flagship batman book right and they see there's a batman story being told on online webtoon you're not going to lose that i mean chances are you aren't going to lose that sale it's yeah. much more likely that you potentially may gain a sale or just gain a fan that you mm. can later sell to uh because of that because of that webcomic you know I, someone's not going to give up their uh uh batman 90 i don't know what issue right batman 95 whatever they're not, not going to drop I that issue so, yeah. because there's because there's the new the new one episode this today of the, the new batman webcomic it's they're not and it's proven yeah. by the fact that most people read batman and then they read they read it they buy it twice a month and they read <laughs> detective comics and they buy nightwing and they buy the whatever the black label version of batman is at the moment you know what i mean like if you're a fan of batman you're buying a lot of stuff and the problem yeah. is just creating new fans of batman in the comics medium that you can convert elsewhere it's very it's very cynical sort of businessy way to think about it but if you can convert fans it's much easier to sell something to a fan than it is to create a new fan and no, and, it, it, and they're not doing that at the moment in that in that space it seems a shame yeah no and and if the see, uh, if the big ships kind of start doing it then the you know, the smaller boats get caught in the slip stream oh, sure. so i'm sure like a lot of American comics would kind of start coming up online webtoon if Marvel and DC started taking it seriously. Yeah. Um and the the thing is that at this point we are a little too comfortable with our industry being <laughs> as small as it is. Right. Right. And the things that can make our industry bigger are the things that we choose to ignore. Like we don't think of Reina Talgemeier as a part of our industry when she's the biggest thing about it right right like mm-hmm. the thing is that's too scary for us like we are too happy to kind of be in this little pond but the fact is like comics as a medium anybody can love comics anybody mm-hmm. does love comics and we need to kind of get comics to those people yeah like, sure. like there's a reason there's a reason that manga is like 25% of the japanese book market because they just there is books yeah that's it Well this is the if you look, if you look at the book this is the you look at the book market uh in the in the US I think it was like last year uh it was comics were the only thing that grew the comics the comics side of the book market was the only part of the book market last year that had growth the rest the rest yeah. contracted slightly um so there isn't appetite for comics this is this is the thing what boggles the mind when you see a certain kind of uh person online say you know comics are dying or whatever it's like the the, the thing is they're really not like they're the only part of print last year that 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 grew 
Um, yeah. It's just, it's just the, the way that we are consuming stuff is changing. And, and it's a little bit like there is, a, I don't, I'm not smart enough to make this analogy. There is definitely an analogy to be made of like looking at comment and looking at like, you know, like the music industry or the film industry of which, have, uh, you know, the music industry had a seismic shift 10 years ago and the film industry is, is probably going to have one. It's like going through like yeah. one now. Um, and yeah. and not not just clinging to the old way of doing things, but looking at how do we adapt for the way that people actually want to consume this stuff. And, you know, this pandemic has, has meant that films have come out uh home release for cinema releases i've watched way more films uh on a on a a home release rental thing than i have in the past two years at the cinema they have have made more money from me for me just being at home (laughs) and watching stuff because it's popped up to be able to buy on on or to rent rather on on, on amazon or on apple tv than, than they have me going to the cinema for the past few years and so it's not. It's about thinking about like this is going to be a seismic shift, and we're going to have to think very, very differently about things. About things, but it could be positive. And it's just sometimes it's very, very difficult to get out of how you've been doing something for decades and decades and decades. Uh, absolutely, and that actually point, like Ariana, kind of points that out at the end. Um, like, can you bring that up? This one. So she's yeah. So she says, if Marvel did a webcomic of the everyday life of superheroes, it would definitely tap into a large casual on online audience. Hell's Kitchen Movie Club as an official webcomic would make an impact. And this mm-hmm. is a, this is actually a big thing. Like uh, some of the biggest stuff online right now is like these AU things, like alternative universe yeah. things, where like you have the character, but it's a different version of the character, and like it's as valid as like let's say a particular kind of fan wants to watch Daredevil and the Punisher fight. There is right. another kind of fan who wants to watch Daredevil and Punisher get coffee. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, you're leaving, like, I mean, that that audience needs to be acknowledged as well, which Marvel, mm-hmm. I think, is doing to a degree. Uh, but, like, this is the thing. This is the whole thing now. Like, there's an entire genre of the same characters, but a different kind of story. That, right. Like, the audience exists. Mm-hmm. And it is pretty much up to you to kind of tap into it or not. Yeah, but I think I think the important point around that as well is that they they are likely again uh, this is this is anecdotally but they are likely to exist in different spaces that they it's not of course, and, why would you not want those though yeah like, yeah no no, no um, I'm saying that's what I'm saying and, and and so and so only creating one kind of thing for one audience and yeah. and trying a different thing but in the same space will will almost you're almost failing before you've started because that audience that wants that thing will not be where you're trying to sell it to them so you True, exactly. think differently yeah. about where about where yeah yeah we're, i just feel like we're solving we're just solving <laughs> the huge huge industry shifts in in a couple in a matter of minutes honestly we've got one we've got another question um uh, we've got a note from nate uh, that we should break oh, up probably let's do that uh yeah so this is about sfx like nate pico says directionality and dynamism is my priority for sfx it's got a move and it's look uh, and look like it's coming from the store smaller to larger um mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense like this this was a game changer for me personally like no nate's note about this where like it's, it's again very obvious to think but like let's say there's an explosion then the sound effect needs to go from the explosion away and it kind of needs to get bigger as it goes like mm-hmm. that's a uh, but when he posted about it i was like wait where was this note all my life <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah uh you were looking at a question i was gonna say yeah to, just to cut that off nate's nate one of nate's better letter things is is about like the arc of the explosion which is a really cool visual yeah actually we should we should point that out as well like a lot along with like the fonts that he does he also posts um a series of like, little notes called better letter so when he talks about takes one aspect of uh lettering and he talks about like 
a way of doing that and a better way of doing that like basically mm-hmm. like um sort of the unprofessional way of doing the same thing and the professional way of doing something right way. right and you should definitely check those out i think they they exist on a tab at uh, lambot.com as well so you can look for those his latest one was amazing like his latest one was about uh, you know all the parts of a letter which most of those i knew but it is really handy to have like a single image as a reference like okay this yeah, is what yeah, that yeah. thing is called <laughs> well let's this is we 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 yeah. I think we're, we're, we're catching up on questions, so I think there's only a couple left. But this one from Ariane as well, which is the rules of lettering are not so much uh, set in stone as it is common best practices agreed among letterers. Uh, if there, is there anything in lettering that you would want to set in stone as an immutable rule? Which is a good question. See, I, I'm somebody who would probably recommend that you scrap a few of the rules that you already have <laughs> <laughs> that I don't necessarily like. Um, one thing i would say is that uh, you should not break planes where possible like this is something that i used to do quite a bit and uh, one of my writers pulled me up on it fairly early on and once i kind of started sort of doing what he has suggested i i realized like this is making for a much better reading so right. let's say you have somebody who's like okay let's say that lamp in the background is speaking mm-hmm. and the balloon should not cover my face uh because what that is doing like i'm not in the same plane as that that mm-hmm. balloon should exist in that plane so mm-hmm. what that lets you do is that um like you can, you can sort of lead the eye from foreground to background and back much better if you mm-hmm. kind of uh if you kind of keep to that rule and i think that's yeah. something that doesn't really get mentioned as a rule particularly i think that's something that is incredibly useful. Uh, of course like you can break that rule like give gibbons breaks that rule turn in like watchman was something and this one but again i think i think it's like he's doing it because it's uh, effective in a certain way mm-hmm. rather than he does, he's not doing it like just for the sake of it i i don't think i'd have yeah. any i don't think I'd, i don't think i'd have any as as, as solid like because i think the we made this point like when we started doing this podcast 2 hours ago that i don't think anything <laughs> I think I think everything I think as long as you understand why the rule is there then you can yeah. understand why you shouldn't be following it. I think I think the you know the basic rule should be like you know may, maybe some of the text should be legible if that but then again sometimes you don't want it to be legible so that's a terrible rule. Uh, See, even so, even crossbar i for example um like the crossbar i like is only for pronouns that's something that we take as a given for the comics that we letter like i generally yeah. do that. But the fact is um that can allow the i to be confused with an l uh at times especially if you're lettering in mixed case yep. so in case of mixed case i would say that you could you should maybe use uh, the crossbar i for capitals and mm-hmm. the thing is uh, gasper and artisimek and i think sam rosen used to actually do that while hand lettering like if if right. they were beginning a sentence with the letter i they would often use a crossbar i mm-hmm. and that was a perfectly fine thing it was it, it's not that distracting Yeah. So even like the one rule that everybody will tell you does have some exceptions. But also I mean Darwin Cook Darwin Cook never used I don't think he ever used crossbar eyes for anything. I think it was always just a straight yeah, line. Yeah, I think it's even straight. even in like the even you know. But but again, I, I, it reminds me of a conversation I had. So Dan Berry does a really cool podcast called uh, Make It and Tell Everybody. Oh, and I, I was on his podcast a while ago and one of the things that we talked about on that was there is a there is almost like a set of established conventions for what you would call like proper lettering which we at the time defined as like you know like like Marvel DC house style right. that's filtered down into into kind of you know direct market mainstream comics but really those rules don't apply 
essentially outside of that, that the, the rules almost feel like they sit in a in a very specific part of the market. And for example, like Dan, I think Dan used crossbar eyes in, in at the start in the middle of words to start, and and he's not become he's not his lettering isn't less effective. Um, and if you look at like other other comic book uh, creators who were working outside direct market, that crossbar eye rule is very. Is very situational yeah, very, outside very of that. Yeah. yeah, and and but yeah, it's not like they're and it's not like they're they're not selling comics. In many cases, far more comics than direct market comics are selling. So yeah, I I, I do like we we it's I think sometimes we kind of want to put a qualifier on what we talk about when we talk about like proper the the rules of lettering. Is that often what we're actually just talking about is the rules of a, a small American, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah a small because because manga lettering is also wildly different than that. Yeah, um, even uh, European lettering. Like uh, I'm actually making a font right now that is sort of inspired by European uh, lettering, and I'm going to mm -hmm. make two versions of that font. One was right. one is going to be the American version, and the other is going to be the European version. Where <laughs> the crossbar I will actually be just a simple I, while yeah. the small I will be like the I with a dot, like with a right. digital. Because yeah. they use that in like uppercase lettering as well, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and like that's that's a curiosity that's like I just I just love that it's, it's just a nice <laughs> eccentricity of uh, that that thing. British, yeah. British comics, for example, never use crossbar eyes for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I was saying like before we started this, I was talking about reading, you know, reading, reading, reading uh, Darwin Cook and and just noticing that stuff in his like. Just yeah. you know, I'm not going to use a crossbar eye because I don't need to, and I don't want to, and you can't make me. And so there's uh, there is a. Ariana actually a... has a, another, another comment on that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, let me throw that. Let me throw that. Yeah. So she says uh, even the crossbar eye rule is broken by the style for DC kids because the crossbar eye is needed to help dyslexic kids kids read, which makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense to me. Yeah. 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 I think, but it, 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 so it's kind of like when we talk about this, what we're talking about is making it making it work within a, an aesthetic form that has been developed over you know. Over time, within a section of the market, um, See, I think the again, biggest again, example. I was just gonna say again. Again, I think the rules. Like, I don't. I don't think you can badly letter a comic book if you if you stick by the rules that we tend to discuss yeah. as letterers. Um, it's it's much easier to to do something that doesn't work if you're moving outside that because they've they you know they've developed over time like any rules have for any for any medium, but equally they can be broken yeah. in any number of ways. No, I think I think the biggest example of that is the tangent rule for art. Like you're not supposed right. to make any tangents. The the problem with that rule is intentional tangents can actually help the read of your page. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of artists who love to use them. The rule is only don't do it by mistake. Like don't <laughs> do it unintentionally. And that's I think the only thing. Like even even um, crossing tails, for example, uh, mm -hmm. in lettering. A ton of people do that, and it's perfectly fine. It's just yeah. Don't do it when you don't need it. Like it's just, yeah, you know, it's just that kind of thing. It's just take the call. And all those rules are incredibly helpful for that. Like basically, that's like all of those rules exist so that when you break them, you need to do them mind uh, do it mindfully. That's it. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I think uh, that's. We've it. got one last question, which is not really a question, but I wanted to save it till last because I thought it'd be a fun way to end this. Sure. Um, which was from uh, Dominic Archer, Comics Archer. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. That, that, who, who said, I, don't, I don't even think that was addressed to us as like for the podcast. It's just that something <laughs> he tweeted about, which I thought was like really fun. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, he, so he said, uh, he said, uh, has anyone pitched a comic with two letterers uh, so that me and you can go to war and try to outdo each other as if their manga characters come to life? 
Um, no one has pitched that because A, no one would read it, uh, and B, you would win. So I don't think that's, I think that's the reason why we haven't done that yet. No, but, but also, like, if you remember, like, we actually suggested that to one of our writers quite that's recently. True. That's true. Yeah, like, we were like, okay, we'll, we'll tag team on lettering on a comic. And <laughs> I, would, I would still like to do that. It would be fun, I, I think. Okay. But, I'll, but do, I don't I'll, see, like, I'll do the balloon I, tails and you do the balloon. <laughs> exactly. How would we divide the labor is my question. Like, you do, exactly you what would all, be. You do all the work uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll change the stroke on the balloons. There we go. Oh, that works. Sure. 50-50 yeah. pay, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, yeah. I think we've I think we've we've answered everything. I think we've solved comics once again. All as always. Every week solving comics. Every week. How, many, how many times have we solved comics still now? Like twelve times? Twelve times, yeah. So uh, before before we fully wrap this up, I think what we'll, we're going to say is we've got more episodes coming. We 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 ran this podcast for about ten episodes, I think. Um, yeah. which we're kind of retroactively calling season one. Uh, we've been taping ahead of time, like all the best forms of media. Uh, uh, and we have got a handful of uh, episodes that we've already recorded. We've got guests. We're going to record a couple of more in the interim. And we're going to hopefully have a, a, a full second season of about eight episodes or so um, coming out weekly on a weekly schedule from yeah. from today. So next week, there'll be uh, a new episode that we've already recorded. Um, and we'll be going on like that for the for the rest of season two. And then hopefully we'll be back for a season three if we haven't bored you all to tears by that point. So if you want to hear more of us do this for, for an hour, hour and a half, um, then you can find Letters and Lines um, on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you can find podcasts, really. Or just follow uh, me and the Ditcher on Twitter, and we'll tell you how to do that in a second. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll be tweeting about this whenever the new episodes come out. Um, so yeah, if this has been your jam and you've stuck with us for, for, for uh, two hours... How, um, how many people stuck to us? Like, I have no idea how many people are listening to us. Far too too many for what we've been talking about. Um, so we'll we'll yeah we'll we'll be back uh, next week with a brand new episode that we've recorded previously, um, and maybe we'll do another live one down the line because this was quite good fun. Yeah, um, we could do a closer after season two is done. Yeah, yeah, this was yeah, a fun maybe one. maybe we could get a guest to come on live with us. Yes, be we fun. can because we've got this fancy studio setup that we've got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's 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 wrap this up. Um, uh, so thanks for checking out this very first episode of season two of Letters and Lines with the Ditcher and me. You can find the podcast at all the usual places you can find podcasts. Uh, you can keep up with me uh, on Twitter at AdithTV and on my website at AdithTV.net. And I'm on Twitter at HassanOE. Plus you can check out Strip Panel Naked on the YouTube channel that you're watching this on if you're watching it live. And my magazine at PanelXPanel.com. Uh, thanks for watching and thanks for listening. <laughs>